Hi, I'm Jamie. And I'm Scott. And welcome to the God or Not podcast, where truth springs from argument among friends. This is episode number 14, and coming up, Scott and I will be talking about the fine-tuning of the universe. Also in this episode, the God or Not book club, and spin the wheel. So grab your popcorn, sit back, and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, please direct your attention to the center ring. This is the God or Not Podcast. We're in for a great night of civil discourse here as these two warriors are wrapped up and ready to go. And now, let's get ready to dialogue! Hello, Scott. Hey, Jamie. How you doing? Fine-tuning the universe. Yep, we're ready to roll. This is going to be an interesting and fun podcast. (laughs) You can say that again. (laughs) It's going to be an interesting and fun (laughs) podcast. You can say that again. No, Uh, no, we won't. won't. So anyhow, so uh, yeah, the fine-tuning. This is one of my arguments for the Mm -hmm. existence of God. And um, it, it was it was one of the five that I had brought up in our initial discussion online. Wait, there was five. I remember four. Oh, was there was, a, is there a fifth one? It was one of my four I brought up in our initial <laughs> discussion. On the- I was like, you're trying to sneak another one in there on yeah, me. Yeah, no. So <laughs> anyhow, this is this is one of the main ones. One of the main ones. Um, and right. that, that, that you had some contentions, and so we're gonna we're gonna jump in here and. Um, and hit it. Do you have anything you want to say before we jump in? Bring it. Let's do it. This is the main event. So the fine-tuning argument. All right, Jamie. Mm-hmm. You ready to jump on this one? Let's All right, jump. So, so the fine-tuning argument uh, is an argument... Um, ultimately an argument for the existence of a God or, or depending on how it's framed. Um, but it's a, it's, it's really, it's a modern, it's a, it's a quote unquote scientific version of an argument from design or another, uh, you know, a technical phrase that they use is the teleological argument. And that comes from the, mm-hmm. uh, telos meaning goal or objective. And so it's, um, it's an argument based off of, you know, what the ultimate purpose or what the ultimate goal or the ultimate objective of something is. And so in this case, we're uh, the, a generic version of the argument. Basically, it's 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 we notice some things about the universe. We notice, hey, you know, this universe looks perfectly, to, you know, perfectly set up just for us. You know, it's it's everything is just just right. You know, these different uh, uh, cosmological um uh, variables are seemed seem just perfectly set up so that suns can form and so that planets can form and so that life can develop and and so you know chemistry works the way it does et cetera et cetera mm-hmm. so we say all these things uh, just seem just right and so then um, you know and it seems unlikely that it just could have just randomly happened this way and so mu- something must have made it happen this way um, that's kind of a generic version but we're gonna the argument we're gonna um, uh, be talking about today is something uh, is, is is a little more specific, and and this is um, the version that you've been using, and it's it's a commonly used version nowadays, mm-hmm. I think. And so, correct me on any of these if, if I get them wrong. But the first premise, um, 
is that the universe is fine-tuned to support life. And very often that premise can be implied too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it seems, you know, we're in this, in this universe. Okay. Premise two, then uh, the fine tuning must be the result of either necessity, chance, or design. Uh, premise three is that it's unlikely due to necessity or chance. And so then the conclusion, which would follow from those premises is that the fine tuning of the universe is likely the result of the design. Mm-hmm. So, what what would what would you say about that as yeah, the general that, layout no, that, of your argument? That sounds pretty good. Um, yeah, like you said initially, a lot of times they just uh, automatically imply that that the universe is fine tuned. And um, I think uh, we had talked about this before. Uh, it's worth repeating uh, in a previous conversation. But when we talk about fine tuned, we don't mean that there's some kind of tuner. We don't mean. Um, even though this might be an argument for uh, design, that doesn't mean God. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's an extra argument, and that's another inference that we would have to make. It's just a very generic, uh, scientific kind of, um, kind of statement. It's not a religious in any way. Of course, you can make some... Um, you know, implications, but again, that's a totally separate argument. So we're just talking about kind of generic um, understanding of fine, fine tuning. We could say just right. Things are just right. Yep. Right. Right. And so, yeah. So when we use the term fine tuned, I think a lot of times if, if people hear fine tuned, they, I don't know about you, but I picture somebody like tuning a piano. Yeah. Right. Spinning some dials. Yeah. So, yeah. So if we say fine tunes, it it could mean that we're implying that it could be out of tune or that there's a tuner and that kind of thing. And and, um, so that's why I I think it's important that we clarify that ahead of time. We're not saying that we're just saying that, you know, it's just right. Mm -hmm. And that's and nothing, no implications beyond that other than maybe what we could argue beyond, you know, we'd have to make a separate argue for argument for anything beyond that. Right. I also want to clarify that when we're talking about life. Um, you know, that's another thing. That's another term that's that's not necessarily clearly defined. And and so whenever terms are not clearly defined, it, it really makes them like low hanging fruit for equivocation, you know, for people to either intentionally or unintentionally misunderstand or misrepresent. And so in this case, we're talking about just us, basically, you know, biological life, 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 um, you know, on earth or, or life similar to life on earth. Right. Would it doesn't you- have to be necessarily human beings. So they right. say when they, when they talk about life, it's the ability of an, any kind of organism to take in food for energy, grow, adapt to their environment and reproduce. So it doesn't have to be like humans, but it does have to be, um, 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 well, it would be biological. An organism. Based, yeah. Biological. Yeah. Carbon be based, based type off of, thing. of- yeah. Yeah, it would be based off of the chemistry that exists in right. our universe yep. and, and so forth. Okay. Yep. All right. So um, so, so that's that was premise one. We just wanted to clarify those two terms there. Um, otherwise, I, I don't think premise one is all that, uh, you know, controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can go on to premise two. And, for, and my first uh, instinct or my first thought when, I, when seeing premise two is that it's not really a trichotomy. So we say that the fine tuning must be the result of necessity, chance or design. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we haven't really eliminated other possibilities. And so um, you've mentioned this before in another context where um, you were saying that a dichotomy is is not just this or that. It's this or not this. Mm-hmm. Right. And so and so in order for this to be a true in this case, it's a trichotomy. We have three options here. Um, you know, if we say necessity, chance or design, 
there's really, you know, either known or unknown other options that we haven't eliminated yet. And so if we wanted it to be a true trichotomy, we would say something like it has to be a necessity chance or neither of those. Which, which right. could be, which no, I think design that would fall would, into that category. Would it be, um, would it, would it be justifiable though to say at this point, since, since no one has thought of a, a fourth option, that that it 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 seems right that we could go ahead and go with what we have for now, and then if we discover other things, to reevaluate that. Uh well, I mean, it would it would give us something to talk about if, they, if that's what you're asking. Uh, it wouldn't necessarily. I mean, it could because if we want this, I mean, the goal we of could this say is that to prove about the, anything, the conclusion. Though. We could say that about anything, though. That there's there might be some unknown thing out there that's somehow controlling that, and we could always keep pushing the can back or keep saying that there's something out there that is unknown. Right. And so, so until it, we get, until we get to a point where we can eliminate those, oper, you know, those other possibilities, then you know, we can't really eliminate not- them if we don't know what they are. And since somebody could always say that no matter how well, much we understand something, we, somebody well, could always say there's true. some, that's, I mean, there are, there are, you, I mean, you can argue a negative, like for example, I can, I can, ar- I could argue that, um, that there's no, um, you know, universe destroying chemicals floating around in the universe. And, and by, and my, my argument would be that um, the universe hasn't been destroyed. And so, you know, so that, that would be, be something we know about. Right. I mean, and I so, just don't so know so that I'm we saying, can argue anything that we that If we don't know it, we don't know it. Right. And so, so if we don't know it, I mean, that's like leaving the, leaving the door open. We don't know. We can't, we can't shut that door. And so, you know, if that's the, if that's the case, then, you know, we don't have a true trichotomy. And, and, and the reason that I bring this up is because that, that kind of invalidates the, you know, the argument that kind of, you know, puts a spike in the, in what, in whether or not this is a valid argument. If we can't, because, because the argument is set up as an argument from, Shoot, what's the word I'm looking for? It's uh, we want to eliminate the possibility. So, so uh, if we w- the idea here is that we want to eliminate two of the possibilities, and so then oh, it must be the third one, right? Well, the only way we can say that is if we know that there's not other possibilities. Like for example, for example, a, a, a fourth possibility might be that there's a combination of uh, you know maybe that there's maybe there's some random variation, but maybe some of the things were uh, maybe like. So we're talking about these um, uh, char- a handful of characteristics about the universe, the weight of a proton, um, the strength of gravity, uh, the strength of the electromagnetic force, and you know different different characteristics like that. Um, you know if gravity was stronger, then it would affect you know chemistry a different way or you know if if different of the nuclear forces were different, then you know maybe a, a uh, an atomic nucleus wouldn't be able to hold together and that kind of stuff. Right. And so those are the things we're talking about. And so maybe some of them, there could be some randomness in some of them, but maybe some of the other ones are determined and, and you know, maybe they depend on each other. So that would be another possibility. Or maybe that there's some unknown naturalistic process, like maybe our universe is part of a larger structure. We talked about that before. Uh, as well, and so maybe there's right. there's something from that from that larger universe that's directing our universe in a particular way, and so and that wouldn't really fall into any of those categories. It wouldn't be necessity. It wouldn't be chance or design. It would just be 
the result of a natural process. And, and then, so, but I think that just kicks the can back. I think my point is this: is I don't want this to invalidate the argument just because there is there's something out there that we don't know about that <laughs> it could all of a sudden show up. I think what we do in science is right, we that, go with what we know. We can draw mm-hmm. conclusions from that, and science is always. Uh, we always leave the door open for science. So if someone mm-hmm. comes up with another alternative uh, and they want to put it on the table, then they can. And at that mm-hmm. point, we we can consider it. But I, I don't think that should stop us from forming some general conclusions about things based upon what we know. Because right. like, and, and so, okay. but, but then we would always have that caveat there that this is, you know, under the assumption that what we know is correct. Right. Yes, I'm fine yeah. with that. Yep. Okay. Well, yeah, sure. Okay, but but the fact that you don't want it to invalidate the argument doesn't that doesn't mean that it doesn't invalidate the argument. You know, if if we can, if you want and 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 it's not it's not about you. See, what it's a weakness in this form of argument. If you want to make an argument by elimination, if you want to eliminate possibilities, you first have to establish that those are the possibilities. Right, but does it, does it seem fair to say like if you gave an argument for something? And Mm -hmm. I say, well, not a good argument because there could be something out there we're uncertain of. Well, if if my argument depended on being certain about that thing, then that would totally be fair. But also, too, we have to keep in mind that this is, again, a probabilistic, like um, what is more likely true than not. So we don't have to have 100% certainty. We don't have to have... um, Right. Every single yeah. duck in a row. So we're not talking about hundred percent certainty, but we okay. are talking about reasonable certainty, right? And so, in order to in order to have reasonable certainty, we have to at least have to have a reasonable, uh, you know, a reasonable justification for thinking that these are these are the only possibilities. But okay, you know, we don't need to dwell on that. We can we can we can continue our discussion without having to you know nail that point down. Unless Man. you have anything else you want to say. Progress. I call that progress <laughs> right there. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So, um, so an, another another thing too is that design is really not clearly defined. How would you define design? How can you determine if something is designed? Um, I think. Um, well, that's. I guess that's a good question. Um, I, in m- much of the literature, I guess that's just a. Um, a given, I would say, designed is something with um, intentionality or or purpose. You know, I would say the basic understanding of design is um, something that is organized um, to f- form something with intentionality. Okay. Okay. I mean, that seems it, reasonable. Yeah. In a, a so, very so generic sense. Some sort. Yeah. Okay. So we, we would have to demonstrate some sort of intentionality. Uh, okay. So that's, uh, so that's premise two. Uh, premise three, this is really the big one here. The, it, it's unlikely due to necessity or chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and before we dive into the probabilities here, I just wanted to kind of do a quick uh, rundown on, you know, what we're talking about. What is, you know, what is probability? And, and cause I know that there's a big, the big sticking point between you and I is how can we justify our, our 
conclusions about the probabilities. And so, mm-hmm. you know, how can we how can we justify a probability? If I want to say something is 10% likely to happen, how 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 can I come to that conclusion? How can I prop that up? And so there's really there's basically two ways of justifying a probability. And one, the first one is called experimental probability. And that happens when you uh, let, like let's say for example, I wanted to determine, you know, what's the probability that this coin will turn up a heads when I flip it. Okay. And so uh, w- under um, under the the umbrella of experimental probability, what we would do is we'd f- just do it. We'd flip it a whole bunch of times and we would count. Okay. So maybe I'd, I'd flip it a hundred times. I'd count how many of those were heads and maybe, you know, 43 of them were heads. And so I'd say, well, according to my experiment here, 43% chance of coming up heads, 43 out of a hundred. And there's some advantages and disadvantages to determining a probability that way. One, uh, the, the, um, the advantage is that it doesn't require a deep understanding of what's going on. You know, we're just observing, we're just watching mm-hmm. something. And so it's very easy for really anybody to do, at least in this case, when we're talking about coin flipping, um, you know, a, a child can count how many, how many times we, we flip ahead. So it's very easy and, and it doesn't require deep understanding. The drawback though, of course, is that um, in any random process, and it depends on the process too, but, um, you know, there's going to be some variation. And so, um, so at least at first, our probabilities are going to be not very precise or not very mm-hmm. accurate. And so, um, and, and we call that the law of large numbers. And, and the law of large numbers says that the more you repeat an experiment, um, you have a tendency to uh, get a more and more accurate answer. So, if, in other words, if I flip the coin twice, and they both turn up heads, then that's hundred percent heads. Mm-hmm. And but you know that seems that doesn't seem very reasonable since I only flipped it twice. And so you might not believe me that the coin always comes up heads. Um, but if I flipped it ten times and it always came up heads, then maybe that would be more impressive. Um, but th- my point is though is that the more times we do the experiment, then we get more and more accurate answers. So that's mm-hmm. under experimental probability. And the other main type of probability is called theoretical probability. And this is when we uh, base a probability on a model. Like uh, when we're talking about the coin flip, maybe I, maybe I know I can look at the coin and I can see that there's two sides, um, you know, and, and within a certain, um, you know, a certain degree of uh, margin of error, maybe that, you know, I can, I can show that the two sides are roughly the same, that the weight is evenly distributed. Um, you know, I, I know how I flip the coin, you know, I know that there's that I, I am physically incapable of tracking all the information that I would need as far as the flip is concerned. Mm-hmm. And so, and so to me, at least it, it, I haven't, I have no way of predicting what, what it's going to turn up. And it's, cha- the system is chaotic enough that, you know, tiny little variations in the way that I flip, it could have a big effect on, on how the coin lands. Um, and so the, the, the advantage of that is that it can give you a much more accurate, uh, um, estimation of the probability uh, of course, the drawback is that you have to have a deep understanding of of the model. You have to you have to know what's going on there. You have to understand the physics of what's happening. You have to understand mm-hmm. you know, the conditions that are there. And so, um, and so, so there's trade offs for both of those. And so that's experimental probability or theoretical probability. And there's actually. I kind of jokingly say that there's a third kind called rectal probability, and that's when you just pull the numbers right out of your ass, right? And <laughs> so, like eighty percent of statistics right, yeah. are made up. 
eighty percent of the spot. statistics are made up on the spot. Right? <laughs> That's right. So, so let's uh, under that uh, in that context. Let's look. I want to give an example of a die. So, let's say I, I'm rolling a die, and I, I tell you that oh, I just rolled a one. Okay, and so I ask you, so what's the probability that I roll another one? Okay, and so you might have assumptions about what you think about dice. Maybe you've you've dealt, you've probably used dice before. Um, but I tell you that this die is not necessarily like any of the other dice that you that you've seen before. And so right from the get go, it's going to be very difficult for you to come up with any kind of reasonable prob- probability of, on you know what are your chances of getting a one. Um, and so I need to give you information about the system. I need to tell you what's going on. Maybe I tell you that um, uh, the die also has other numbers on it. Okay. And so, cause we had no idea what might be that, you know, what might be, you know, if you take a die out of a game, maybe it has like different thing. Maybe it has a one on one side, but it has like an apple on another side and a red dot on the other side, on another side. And mm-hmm. has a, um, you know, uh, the word hate on another side or, or something like that. And, you know, just these obscure things. And so the only thing we really knew about the die from what I told you so far is that there's a one at least one of the sides has a one on it. Mm -hmm. And so, but then I can give you more information. And so then maybe I could tell you that, well, there's other numbers on the faces. Okay. And so that gives you a little bit more information. And so maybe you could, uh, you know, maybe you could come to a a little bit of a better conclusion, but you still don't know what numbers are on there. You don't know if they're consecutive. You don't know what's the biggest number, what the smallest number. We don't even know how many faces are on this die. And so these are all things that we need to know in order to form our basis. Mm-hmm. But even if we do know that, even if I do, even if I told you there is 17 sides on this die, and even if I told you that it has the numbers one through five on there, but again, we still don't know what the probability of a one is because obviously there's going to have to be multiple faces with different numbers. And we don't know if that's evenly distributed or we don't know if there's a one, a two, a three, and a four. And then 13 fives. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so depending on what that distribution of those numbers is, that's going to affect our probability. But even if I told you there are six sides on this die and they have the numbers one through six on them, we still can't come up with the probability because the faces might be different sizes and shapes. And so they might, and the, and you know, the shape of the die itself will of course affect how it rolls. Maybe some of the edges are rounded. Maybe one of the faces is larger than the others. Maybe the weight has been shifted, you know, loaded die, right? A lot of times they'll, um, that's incidentally, that's why dice you see in Las Vegas are clear is so that you can see that there's no weights in there. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, so maybe there's a weight on there that'll, that'll kind of make it roll one way or the other a little bit more often. So this, all this information we need to know, before we can uh, determine its probability. And so if we look at that and we think, okay, is this going to, does this turn up a one because of necessity, chance, or design? That's going to be based off of what we know about mm-hmm. that die. And so if, if I want to make the argument that it's based off of necessity, then I'm going to have to show you, I'm going to have to justify that by showing you that all the faces were ones, or maybe there were some faces that were not one, but they, the die is set up in such a way that those faces could not end up on the top. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so, so if I wanted to make the case that it was based off a of necessity, then I would have to make that case. If we wanted to show that it was designed, maybe I could show you where the weight was, you know, inserted in there, or, you know, I could show, how, you know, I, there would have to be some characteristic of the die that we, Oh, you shaved the edges mm-hmm. off of the other numbers or something like that. 
And so, and then otherwise we could, we could argue that it was by chance. You know, we see that the sides are all the same. We know the physics of rolling. We know how the, you know, the surfaces interact with each other, the felt on the table and the, you know, what the plastic that the dye is made out of. And so, um, you know, we could make an argument for chance in that way. And so, um, so it's, so the problem with the, with the theoretical foundation is that we need to know a lot of information about how not only what is available and how it works, but also, you know, how those values interact with each other. And so if we, if we, um, if we expand that to then our, you know, our talk about the fine tuning of the universe. Yes. So before we move on, I just had a question. Okay. Yeah. What then, what do we need to know to postulate these universes? What would we need to know in order to say, you know, okay, these are the, these are the way the universe could be. Uh huh. What would we need to know? Well, we would need to have some sort of evidence that it could turn out that way. Either a mathematical model that predicts it that would give us that would give us reason to think that it could turn up that way. Or if we had some observation that that something had turned up that way, um, you know, we would have to have some something that would support that that belief. We would have to be able to. I, well, I think the um, I heard uh, uh, Luke Barnes was a, he was a author of one of the uh, resources that you gave me as a, a mm-hmm. physicist. Actually, he's a postdoc um, researcher, but um, I, I I didn't get a chance to read all of the stuff that you that you sent me. But one thing that he said that jumps out at me is what's important is the size of the bullseye compared to the size of the board. He was talking about if somebody throws a dart at a dartboard and and hits the bullseye, you might not be all that impressed because maybe it's not as close to the center as it could have been. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so, um, so he said, what's important is the size of the bullseye compared to the size of the board. So really what we need to know is we need to know the size of the bullseye and we need to know the size of the board so that we could compare because of probability we're comparing two numbers. We're mm-hmm. comparing the thing we're looking for versus all of the possibilities. So what now, would that, not- what would those be in this case? In the case of the so, universe. So, so in this case, we'd have to have some boundaries on the physical parameters that we're talking about here. Okay. And in, in, in largely we do largely we do. And, uh, you know, we know, you know, we have these, and, and these are predicted by mathematical models. And so we can, we can determine, you know, what, what could happen. And, and in many cases, what could not happen in some, in some cases, those boundaries are a little fuzzy. Um, but at least they're, you know, they're, they're there enough that we can at least have a conversation about mm-hmm. it. But what, we, but what we would need to know, and, and here's what we don't know. The, the position that we're in here as far as our knowledge of the physical universe, that represents the situation where we know all of the numbers on the die, or at least most of the numbers on the die, or many of the numbers on the die, but we don't know the size and orientation of the different faces. We don't know how many times one shows up on the die. We don't know the size of the one face. We don't know the shape of the edges and that kind of thing. And so it's, it's, it's not just an, a matter of knowing what could happen. We also need to know how those different values are, you know, in relation to each other in order to come up with a probability. So and other so, than the, other than the physical, um, the boundaries on the, the the different physical variables. What was that other thing? Do you think how like what? I mean, you're talking about the die. What would that be 
in relation to the universe that we're talking about or the possible universes. Well, it, it would, I mean, it would be, you know, if like, let's say we uh, were able to restart the universe, you know, a billion times. So we would know, we would need to know how many times out of that billion could this particular universe show up? And we don't know that. We don't know. We don't know how common it is. We don't know if, if something has a bigger face than the other, than the okay, other possibilities. Okay, so if we were going to – all right, that makes sense. I understand that. So if, if we were going to say something is more likely than not, and we're dealing right now with necessity and, um, and chance and design, so we would have to ask ourselves – Okay, is there something other than what we consider the the laws of nature um, that's more fundamental that can um, make adjustments or pick? So, could we say that these things are arbitrary or random, unless we could find something that that at least gives us some insight or s- some reason to believe that it's somehow um, one's being picked over another? Well, I mean, we would need to have some sort of justification for saying that, you know, we can't, I mean, even eat, like I said, even if we know the other possibilities, even if we could list all of the other possibilities. And in this case, we're talking about a continuum of possibilities. So obviously we can't list all of them because there'd be infinite, you know, tiny little little variations but uh you know but we would need to know you know we would need to know the weighting system we would need to know you know are any of the are any of the sides of the dice bigger than the other sides and right and, so when you know, you're that, that's when information you, that we just don't have so when you're rolling it over to the universe because sometimes i have a hard time because i want like i'm trying to find direct um like a direct correlation and st- because when we go back and forth from universe to die Mm-hmm. For me, something gets lost in the translation. And so I understand the boundaries on the physical variables. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I also understand that we have to um, um, to determine if this is based on necessity. The universe had to be that way. Mm-hmm. We'd have to have some reason to believe that there's there's that it wasn't at random. And right okay. now, all we have are the fundamental forces, which, which well, he, okay, completely arbitrary, that, right? Here's something that might help you. You've heard of a bell curve, right? Yes. So a bell curve, it's, or it's also called a normal distribution. You know, it's a bell curve. It's high in the middle and low on the sides. That's called a, it's a probability distribution. And what a probability distribution is, is uh, it's either graphically or sometimes you can list out all the possibilities. But basically, it's a, it's a list of all the possibilities along with their probabilities. So if we look at a, at a, at a normal distribution or a bell curve, what that means is that the values that are towards the center of the distribution are much more likely than the values that are on the, on the fringes that are far above or far below the mean. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, and the bell, you know, a bell curve can have a bunch of different characteristics to it. it can it can be wider or it can be narrower or it can be taller or shorter, you know, depending on, on the distribution here, but, but we would need to know, I mean, that's what we would need to know. We would need to know the probability distribution of all these different possible. Does there have to be a curve, a bell curve? It, no, it's I not mean, necessarily. It doesn't. I mean, you could have uh, a uniform probability, and when, if you roll a die, 
that that's a uniform probability. You have the same probability of getting a one, two, three, four, five, or six. It's not okay. like you have more probability of getting the middle values. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if you roll two dice and add them up, you actually it actually does start to form a bell curve. Okay, so we have a mo- we're more likely to roll a seven than we are to mm-hmm. roll a two or a twelve, and and so on and so forth. And so, um, so yeah, so the a distribution doesn't necessarily need to be a bell curve. It's just that many naturally occurring things do happen to be, a, you know, in the form of a bell curve. But that's that's not. And what you're the case. saying that is basically we don't know. Uh, it, right. That's, we don't know that's if what we're missing. E- even if we grant that we that we have a firm idea of what the range of possible values would be, you know, we still don't have that probability distribution, and so we can't really say. You know, it might be a bell curve. It might not. It might be uniform. It might not. It might be an inverted bell curve. Mm-hmm. We, we in the math department at at my school, we we always kind of joke around how our grades. You know, at the end of the semester when we fill out our grades, very often we'll have you know a bunch of A students and a bunch of students that you know we're getting D's and F's and not a lot of B's and C's, and so it's like an inverted bell curve. You know, we have mm-hmm. it, it separates into two groups basically, and so you know we don't know if, if that's if that's what's happening. You know, we we have no idea you know, what, what that distribution looks like. And that would, that's a key that we're missing there in order to come up with these probabilities. Okay. But I, I, along those lines, there was, there was a, a, an article that I wanted to, to mention and that it's a, it's from a website called fizz.org, which is, it's just a science reporting website. And, and this particular quote is from a journalist, not necessarily a scientist themselves. Uh, but it but it, it kind of sums up what I'm saying here. And I thought the wording was nice. And so that's why I'm going to bring it up here. It says, as scientists explain, the calculation of the number of universes is an important step towards an even larger goal. OK, so so learning about all the, the different uh, variables in the universe and, and what they could be or what they couldn't be, that's an important step. And that's and that is, you know, we, we need to know the range of possibilities before we even begin to look at a probability distribution. But then the quote goes on to say, to uh, so it's a step towards an even larger goal, to find the probability of living in a universe with a particular set of properties. What are the chances that we live in a world in which the laws of physics are these laws that we currently observe? Answering this question requires finding probabilities that depend on knowing about other universes, among many other challenges. And so what that means is that we need to gather information about what's going on. You know, we either need to, we could do it. Uh, we could use the experimental approach. If we could, if we could get information from other universes, then we could we could start to develop a probability that way. Or if we had a strong uh, model to to represent the larger, you know, the the larger multiverse, I guess, or the superverse, or whatever we want to call it, the the big U universe. I think we've called it in the past. Mm-hmm. We would have to have a strong model about how things work in that larger right. system. And so then we would have a strong model about how our universe began. And so then we could speak intelligently on that. So that would give us insight into that probability distribution. Um, but speaking of, of mathematical models, we're, um, you know, one of the, the main argument against the idea that our, that our universe is unlikely is, and, and this is, I think is um, um, most populous, are popular amongst uh, physicists nowadays is this multiverse hypothesis or multiverse mm-hmm. hypotheses, I should say, because there's different variations of this multiverse. For example, um, um, you know, maybe our universe is just a bubble. You know, a bubble 
expanding within a, you know some larger medium and maybe there's other bubble universes that are around us that we just never we never interact with because the bubbles never never touch i mean that's one right. possibility or maybe there's like different planes of existence or that you know your imagination can one, run wild so the on idea the, on is different- the idea is we find ourselves in a life permitting universe um simply based on chance because there are so many universes to pick from, so many little bubble or pockets of order or or little universes. There's so many of them that mm-hmm. we're bound to find some that are life permitting. Correct. Right. So right. That's and the so, general and so, idea. so so if one if one universe, even if we could show that one universe is unlikely to turn out this way. Um, you know, it's just like the lottery, you know, if you buy a lottery ticket, you're unlikely to win, vanishingly unlikely to win, but people win the lottery all the time. And that's because there's repeated trials. That's because right. there's a lot of people buying tickets. And so, so even, even if we could demonstrate that our particular circumstances were very unlikely, um, if there's an infinite number of universes or, you know, a huge number of universes, then, you know, that would make it much more likely that somewhere in a universe is like this is going to happen. And so then, um, so then us as human beings, of course, we would, we would appear or we would come to be in the universes that allow humans to exist, right? It, it doesn't make a lot of sense that, that we would find ourselves in one of these other universes. And so if the chance that our universe uh, is much more likely or maybe even inevitable, then um, you know, then of course that's where we're going to be to observe and wonder why we, how we got here, that kind of so thing. So if we, if we do bring in the multiverse theory, we're going to have to grant these other possible universes for this, at least for the sake of argument, correct? Right. Cause that's yes. one thing the multiverse kind of goes on is that there's other ways the universe can be, and it shows itself by, right having other pocket universes or other bubble universes. So yeah, the, the same models that predict the, right. mul- you know, these other, mul- these other universes all are, are what are being used to develop these numbers as to what these possibilities right. could be. So if obviously we use, we haven't, we haven't checked, we haven't actually done any experiments on <laughs> right. other universes. We can't. Right. And, yeah. So, right. It, but if, but if we did use that, that idea, then the, the lotto analogy, I, I don't think is correct. The idea that, well, you know, um, yeah, there's it's twenty million to one, but someone has to win, right? So the idea is, is right. we have all these universes. You're bound to find yourself in in a universe that's life, um, um, you know, like our universe, right? So you, mm-hmm. uh, the question is, but I think that the true analogy is not why we find ourselves. Um, holding this one particular ticket or why Uh we find ourselves in this one particular universe, but why we find ourselves in a life permitting universe at all. And so the, I think the correct analogy would be if you had a giant hopper with 20 trillion, trillion, trillion black ping pong balls Uh and two white ping pong balls and you mix the hopper up and then you, 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 drew one ping pong ball from random. If uh-huh. it's black, then then that count that as a life prohibiting universe. And if it's white, count that as a life permitting universe. 
And so the chances right. of us getting a white ball are so infinitesimally small compared to a black. And so right. that's the idea. Even if we do live in a multiverse, if that is in, in, in fact the case, mm-hmm. we still have to grapple with, yeah, the, the multiverse now makes it possible for us to live uh, because we have these infinite number of universes. But now we, we still have to grapple with the question of why did we end up in a life-permitting universe? Right. Why right. did we and pull the white ping pong ball rather than the black ping? All the exactly, billions of right. trillions. It seems of amazing, black doesn't it? It seems yes. amazing, doesn't it? Yes. Right. But but that's uh, so that would be um, if we were assuming that it was just this one universe, right? Because we only have because you're only talking about one person drawing a ball out of the hopper. No, right? I'm talking. Yeah. So and, and so and so the hopper represents all the possible universes, right? And so we're not talking about one person drawing a ball out of the hopper. We're talking about you know, massive number of people, no, maybe even no, an infinite think, number of people drawing a ball out no, of the No, I think I think we have the the um I it, I, I may maybe I didn't say it correctly. There, there could be there could be an infinite number of Jamies that got shot when they pulled the black ball, right? I mean there there could be an infinite number of Jamies and you happen to be the one who drew the white ball. It was inevitable that one of those Jamies drew a white ball. And it just happened to be you. And you're like, oh, my God, what, what happened here? How did I draw this white ball out of this big sea of black balls? Well, right. That's, if, so that's- if, 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 this, if we are working under the multiverse you know, hypothesis, then mm-hmm. it's not just one person drawing a ball. It's millions and billions and maybe an infinite number of people drawing a ball. And so it's inevitable mm. that one of them will draw the white ball. No, I'm not. I'm not sure about that. The question, though, is that why did this Jamie choose, or able to get a life permitting universe over a life prohibiting universe? Right. So and I, the reason, the reason why is that the Jamies that drew the black balls are not here to think about that question. Okay, so you—that's the anthropic principle, right? Right. The whole, right. a whole idea that hey, we're here. Uh, and if, if, and of course, if things weren't life permitting, then we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here to think about it. Right. And so if you want to like, I think something that helps kind of clarify that is, is kind of the, um, the, um, uh, the analogy or, or the idea that let, let's say, uh, you, Scott, I'm going to use you instead of me because I've had okay. issues with drugs before. So this right. that hits a little too close to home. So let's say that Scott goes to Columbia, and I say Columbia because it's known for its drug uh, drug running. And let's say right. that, that and he's I've been framed. talking about wanting to go there for years. <laughs> <laughs> and he's framed. Are you serious? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he, he's framed for um, for running drugs, and they take drug running seriously out there because, you know, uh, it just it, that was a bad thing. And so right. you're going to get a death sentence for that. Okay. And so, uh, but the way they're going to kill you is, is by firing squads. So they line up 100 trained marksmen mm-hmm. at nearly point blank range, and you're right. blindfolded, ready, aim, fire. You hear the roar of the the guns, mm-hmm. but then you realize that that you you haven't died, that you're still right. alive, yeah. and so the so the but that doesn't answer the question because you would then you wouldn't say, huh, no explanation is needed then because um, if if I had 
uh, died, then I wouldn't be alive uh, to be thinking this. But since I'm alive to be thinking this, right. no explanation is needed. But that's right. the very thing we're trying to. Ex- there is. Right. There should, you would but say, that, hey, but that- you, you would say, hey, this is rigged or they all missed on purpose or, right. you know, so, somebody moved me out of the way or somebody put something in, in the way to stop it. So y- you would be expecting some kind of explanation for that. Exactly. And in the same way, that's what we're asking about. Um, you know, that's right. what we're asking about right. the multiverse I, I, I or life permitting hi- universe. I think you highlight the error in perspective there. Okay. So we're looking at it from within, right? The anthropic principle. If some, if people came to be, they're going to come to be in a situation that allows them to come to be. Right. right. And in so, the same way. Right. Right. So, so in let's, this case, hold on, so, hold on, hold on. Well, let, let's line it up so that these are, so, so that what you're talking about and what I'm talking about are, are like side by side. Right. Okay. Right. So, so when, so you say that, okay, if, if we're going to come to be, we shouldn't be surprised that we're in a universe to come to be because in order for us to come to be, we'd have to be in this particular universe, life permitting universe. Mm-hmm. The same thing would be said about the, 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 the firing range is, you know, you're blindfolded and, and, and all the guns go off, but you're still alive. Right. Right. So those are kind of the same thing that we're talking about. But then the next question to ask is why am I still alive? You don't say, well, I'm still alive because if I were dead now, if they had shot me and killed me, I wouldn't be alive to think it. Right. You would, you, we wouldn't immediately think that we would go on to say, well, there must be some reason why I'm alive. You know, they must have all missed. I mean, almost point blank range, a hundred of them. Right. And that's right. a, that's a natural thing that you would think. But let's say after that, okay, so after that, you learned that actually there was an infinite number of versions of you that were facing an infinite number of firing squads in an infinite number of Colombian, you know, prisons. Right. Okay. <laughs> and so out of an infinite number of possibility, if 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 we're assuming that each each person on the firing squad had a had a probability of missing, you know, if there was a possibility that each one of them would miss, then even if it's vanishingly vanishingly small, there's going to be a possibility that they all miss. And so, if this happened an infinite number of times, then Doesn't I shouldn't that be just su- increase the probability. Though, I mean, it's it's no, you see, no, it makes and it makes doesn't it, it make makes it, my situation inevitable. Is what it does, right? But it's but it still makes all the other times that you were shot infinitely more than the times you weren't shot. So the question is, is how did I end up? No, the proportion this, is still the same. The proportion is right. still the same. That, that's what I'm saying, though. The pro- yeah, the proportion doesn't change. So right. So we don't we so if the proportion doesn't change, we don't have to posit an infinite amount of them. We a hundred will do. Okay, so if if um, um, okay, yeah. So let's say that there's a one percent chance that they'll all miss, and when this happens a hundred times, then it would be reasonable that one of those times, right? The person, but th- the so person the, who yeah, was shot right. at would would be wondering, right. well, why is it me? Right? Right. So so, so right. So so that out of the hundred times, there's only one time that that you end up alive. We wouldn't go, huh? I, I wonder, boy, that that's interesting that I was the one that that, that, that was in this right. particular one. We would want to know, man, how is it that I ended up, um, you know, in, right. in this, but, in this. But, but if, but if we understood what happened, then we would know how that happened. We would, ha- we would know. I mean, it would, we wouldn't know why was it me instead of somebody else, but we would know that it was inevitable that one of us would have survived. 
Right, and but the, that, the chances that, are are the that, chances though are are much greater that I would end up dead. That that version of right, and so if our universe turned up this way, if if there is a multiverse, then yeah, if the vast majority of them are inhospitable for life, then yeah, if you Jamie had been born in one of those universes, you would instantly die if it were somehow possible for you to be born there, of course. Mm-hmm. And so so that would be that would be. So maybe there are an infinite number of other, you know, thinking beings that didn't, you know, that never came to be because their their universe didn't permit didn't permit life. And so right. that those would represent all of the all of the ones that got shot. If if it's inevitable that somebody's going to survive out of those, you know, out of those infinite number of lineups or thousand or however many you wanted to, if it was inevitable that one of them would survive, of course they're going to be wondering, "Gee, why was it me?" Right. And, and, you know, they, there's, I don't, cause it was random chance, but it was I, inevitable, I, yes. but right. it was inevitable that one of them would survive. That's the point. That's what the multiverse well, so, theory. All right. So if you it, have, if, so if you have the, the black ping pong balls, right. And, uh-huh. and the two white ping pong balls. Okay. So the black ping pong balls represent the multiverse and the white ping pong balls represent um, or I'm well, sorry, the white, the black, the white ping pong balls are life permitting, right? Yeah, and the, black so the black are not life permitting, right? And so, um, so our universe happens to be the one that drew of the trillions upon trillions upon trillions of black balls. We end up, right? We end up drawing the, the, the white one, correct? Yeah, and so, so, right? So, but, but my question to you is. If if we did it again and got a, the second white ping pong ball, what would you say then? Would you say, well, somebody had to get it? I, I guess I guess it was. If I knew that, that I got it twice in I, a row, if I knew that there was, you know, in a massive number of people drawing balls, yeah, I I would be surprised. You know, why was it me instead of somebody else? But and I that's all I'm under- saying is I think that we're those are the kind of probabilities we're dealing with that they're, they're they're so high that if you grant the the um that the, there's these uh theoretical possible ways our universe could have been mm-hmm. that's all I'm saying is that the that the odds are so uh, mind blowing uh almost beyond comprehension that we would end up in a life permitting universe as opposed to a life prohibiting universe. Right, but you're missing the point. You're missing the point of the of the multiverse example. Okay, you're you're missing the whole point there. If there is a if there is a massive number of trials, then it can become inevitable that somebody survives. Okay? Bear with me. It's inevitable that somebody survives. You, you with me so far? So are we talking ping pong balls or are we talking got the the shooting range? Sure. All right, I, we can stick with the ping pong balls. <laughs> I guess we keep jumping back and forth yeah, between our analogies right. here. Okay, so let's stick with the ping pong balls then. Okay, so if uh, let's say that there's uh, a thousand ping pong balls in there, and one of them is white. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we have a billion people drawing a ping pong ball. Okay, it becomes inevitable that somebody's going to draw the white ping pong ball. Mm-hmm. Or it actually is not inevitable, but it would be vanishingly vanishingly unlikely that nobody picked the white ping pong ball right much more likely that at least one person probably very likely that many that several of the of people would would pick the white ping pong ball now 
out of those people, obviously the people who chose the black ping pong ball are not considering their, your, their station in life at this point. Right. Cause, <laughs> right. They, cause, yeah. cause they're not right. thinking anything anymore. Okay. So, um, so of the people that drew the white ping pong ball, of course, they're going to wonder why was it me? And that doesn't, and we didn't, we can't give them an answer. Why was it you and not somebody else? But at least we can understand if we know if those if we explain to them, oh, actually, there was a million or a billion people that drew ping pong balls and you were just, you know, one of the ones who got the white one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't satisfy your curiosity. Why me and why not somebody else? But it does answer the question about the probabilities, because it was inevitable that somebody would draw the white ping pong ball and that person would be the only one in the position that could contemplate where they ended up because the other people would not be contemplating shit anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't Did I cross know. a line there. Well, we, it, no, <laughs> we because it was, it was like, I was like, so like in the zone, like sciencey <laughs> thinking. And then all of a sudden the, that gets thrown and out I, there. I just brought you back down you, to earth. You're like, right Oh, it's just Scott. Back, Jesus. Right, okay. Right back in. <laughs> all right. So, okay, I mean, so I, that's so something that, but, that I probably, need to chew on a little bit more because I'm still not sure that that's right, but I think I need some time to think about why okay. that might be wrong <laughs> or, or why <laughs> that might be right. So you don't know how, but it's gotta be wrong. No, somehow, I'm not saying right? it's gotta be wrong. <laughs> I just am, am like, I, I thought that, um, I thought that, that my example directly corresponded with, with the situation and it and does, but it's only that. It, but you're the way that you were saying it. You're only looking at it from the perspective of one of those universes. You're not considering the multiverse. You're con- you were you were looking at it from a perspective of this is it. This is the universe. Right? No, you I was looking, looking at-, at it from perspective of this is the um, one of the very few life permitting universes. Right, but you were looking at it from the perspective of you were the only person drawing balls out of the hopper. Correct. Right, but if that's not the case, then that explains why somebody survived, and it's not. It, we shouldn't be surprised at all that the people that did survive are amazed that they survived, just like people who win the lottery every day. People win the lottery, right? We said right. that before. I, I, I okay, guess I'm so, switching metaphors. Right. Again. Yeah, but so so, but what we'd have to say there. Um, is that we would also be at that point speculating that number one, there is a multiverse, and number two, that they're infinite in, or at least that there are so many of them that makes life permitting universe uh, even a possibility. Because that, I mean, we're talking series, super crazy, right? You know, there's so many more ways. If we're doing theoretical universes, so many ways universe could have been life prohibiting than life permitting. So we would just be speculating at that point whether or not that we have an infinite number or we have enough and not why not seven? Why not seven universes in the multiverse? Right. Instead of, you know, you know. So I guess, yeah. For the context of the argument, we're not. We first of all, if there is a multiverse, then we fully expect if it's possible for there to be life permitting universes, and we know that's really the only thing we have evidence for is that it is possible to have a life permitting universe because we're in one. 
you know, we can, you know, we're experiencing it. We have firsthand information. So if there is a multiverse and we know it's possible for there to be a life permitting universe, we shouldn't be, we're first of all, we're not going to be surprised that uh, a life permitting universe comes to exist. And secondly, we're not going to be surprised that uh, if life does, if, you know, come to be in those universes that they would, that they wouldn't understand that they would be amazed that it happened. So, but, but do you get the difference between one person drawing the ping pong ball versus an array of people drawing ping pong balls? Because if, because it, so it's no longer surprising that there is a life, life permitting universe. And of course it's not surprising that any life that arises, of course will arise in a life permitting universe. And so none of that, None of that becomes unlikely anymore. So and that's, and that's what the argument depends on is that this is unlikely. And so what we've described is a situation where it is unlikely or even inevitable. So what if, um, let me see if this, if I don't know if this is going to um, make any sense, but let's say. Um, the, I'm crossing my fingers. <laughs> that, that, that Bob, his, his birthday is. Is today February fourteenth, right? Is today mm-hmm. February fourteenth Valentine's Day? Yes. February fourteenth, and let's say that that for his his birthday, his wife got him a car, and um, and on the you know there's how many probably millions of different variations of possible letters and numbers on a license plate, mm-hmm. and so he wouldn't think it strange if he got like n p z one two five six right okay Okay, it just seems pretty random but if he got b o b o two one four like at, at that point would he be justified in saying well you know what um even though we have all these license plates um you know b o b o two one four is bound to to come up somehow, so I, I shouldn't be surprised at all that it ended up on my car. Well, it depends on his perspective. If he's looking at it as like it was just a one-shot deal, then of course he's going to be surprised. The odds of that happening are vanishingly small. But okay. if you tell him, I know that there's you know, billions of Bobs that got random license plates and any any of them that did not get bob o two one four winked out of existence, mm-hmm. and so of course, since there's so many since there's so many possibilities since there's so many trials, right? There's so many times that this is happening. Of course, it's going to come up a bunch of times. Mm, that, interesting. That if, yeah. if we did random choices, you know, it's go- it's going to come up if if it has a non-zero probability of happening, and mm-hmm. you do it an infinite number of times or a large enough number of times, it's going to happen. Right. And so if and in addition to that, and this is where the anthropic principle comes into play, in addition to that, if the conditions to even wonder of your situation, if the conditions for you even to consider your, you know, what's happening to you depend on that happening, then of course the only people considering their situation will be those bobs that got that license plate. Right, so and I so, think that your so first argument, though, was better than that one. So, like, the first part of that <laughs> argument was better than that part because um, y- you talking about having, you know, ha- having 
billions of bobs getting cars on their birthday and getting license plates and like uh, okay i get that i grant that i need right. to think on that to see how that how that pans out i need to think on it but the w- the the other idea that um um the with the anthropic principle that we shouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. right i i still think that that makes us wonder well, well, why me? So, of of course, we're going to wonder right. that because we have our limited per, our limited perspective, because we don't know we don't know that what what all is happening, and so yeah, that that answer might not be very satisfying as to why am I here versus why am I not here, and that's fine, but that's not that's not what the argument that we're looking at the fine tuning argument doesn't hinge on somebody understanding why it's them. What the, what, what the argument hinges on is this particular set of circumstances being unlikely. And so what we've described from our bird's eye view here of, of all this going on, you know, we have, we have a, you know, the third person perspective here. We're looking on, uh, from the outside, right? And so what we're saying is if we under, I mean, we're, we shouldn't be surprised that that happens, I agree that it will not be a satisfying answer for the person whose perspective is limited to their own situation. Yeah, they, yeah, they're going to under they're going to be in fact it would be inevitable that they would think that also. Yes. It's not only, you know, it's it's not only likely that would happen, it's almost certain that that would happen. Okay, right? so and I so, have, yeah, I I do have a question. Okay, cuz I'm trying to like I'm 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 trying to understand this. Okay, so so let's Let's just say we have that hopper of the billions and billions of black ping pong balls, and we only have okay. two white ping pong balls, right? All so right. If, if we multiply the black ping pong balls, if we double those, and we also double the white ping pong balls, right? And we okay. keep doing that, mm-hmm. right? We're obviously going to have exponentially more black ping pong balls than we are white ping pong balls. Correct. So, I mean, well, the proportion will stay the same, though. The percentage, your your chance of drawing the white ball will still stay the same, right? But you're saying that that now there uh, is. I'm just trying to see how we jump from. Um, let, let's keep it to a finite number, really big finite numbers, so I can understand it. Because I know there's different understandings of the infinite and I, it's not my area. So let's keep it to like the highest finite number you can possibly think of, of black. <laughs> uh, all right. So okay. just so my little mind, my peon mind can, can understand that. So let's, okay. So, well, what the, the thing you just described that was supposedly easier to imagine is actually impossible to imagine, but let's, let's just say a big, a really big number. Right. Okay. Really right. big number. Really? So, so, I guess my question is, is if you have to have a life permitting universe in, in order to observe that you got the ping pong ball, mm-hmm. wouldn't there be exponentially more life prohibiting universes? So say, let's just say we have 10 billion to two. 10 okay. billion life prohibiting to mm-hmm. two um, uh, life permitting. So uh, say we double that. So we're going to keep everything still the same. So now we have, um, what did I say? Now, now we have 
20 billion. What did okay, I say at first? Four. You said 20, 10. Yeah, tw- 20. So 20 billion to four. Uh huh. Right. And then, and then uh, double that again. So 40 billion to eight. Uh huh. Right. So I'm not seeing how. Your, your probability of drawing would be the same. Right. So I'm not seeing, though, how we're getting more observers. If, if, if we're working with these numbers, mm-hmm. um, and you could only be an observer in a life permitting universe. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we're getting these other observers. So the first we had twenty billion to four. So we had four observers, four people. Well, we're we're talking hypothetically here. Yeah, right? that's we're and, talking yeah, hypothetically. Right. That's what I'm so saying. It, so so if, if if it turned out that our universe was not life permitting, we wouldn't be here to be discussing this. But if one of these other universes turned out to be life permitting, then possibly you know Jamie and Scott could be there having the same discussion. Mm-hmm. Okay, or or at least there would be somebody there wondering why. And so so what we're saying here, though, is that the multiverse is saying we're, we don't just have one person drawing from the hopper. We have a large number of people drawing from the hopper. That's right, what the but multiverse that's directly proportioned to the size of the hopper. Right, but you have that same the same probability over and over and over again. It's a it's going to hit one of these times. Right, we're not but, adding balls to the hopper. We're just we're no, the we are still adding, stay we, the same. We we are adding balls to the hopper. We're also adding life permitting universes <laughs> to the hopper. Right, so if well, we you add, can you can do as long as the proportion is the same, then you can do that all you want. It's not going to change the probability of drawing a white ping pong ball. Right, it's so I'm just wondering how we're getting though m- more life permitting universes like i see how they double right like so i went from 20 billion no, 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 and four no. the, to 40 the billion ping pong and balls the ping pong balls represent the these, universe these, these these range of numbers that allow you know that could either right. allow or not allow life right yes the, the universes that are popping up in the multiverse represent people drawing from the hopper to decide, oh, am I going to be a life permitting universe or am I not going to be a life permitting universe? Yeah. The, so what? Okay. So so, so when the have, ball comes down the have, chute, if it's if black, we have more people drawing, if we have more people drawing, it increases the chance of getting a white one. Um. So so here here's yeah, but here's what I'm saying though. What what? Oh, listen, don't get frustrated. I'm really trying I'm to understand this. I'm really trying to understand this. Okay, so we have this. We have this giant hopper. You're reading too much into my uh, my uh, your size sounds. Yes. <laughs> All right. So we have this giant hopper with 20 billion black ping pong balls, and that is life prohibiting. And we have two right white life permitting universes. Okay. So the and ping pong so, balls so wait, aren't so wait, the universes. Yes, the ping pong balls are the universes. Okay. Right? So you you pull the handle and you get a black ball. That is a life prohibiting universe, right? Okay. Then you toss that ball back in there and you pull okay. the handle again. Mm-hmm. Okay? It, it, so, so you just keep doing that. You're working with the same proportions every single time because you have the same potential yeah uh so that's that's what i'm saying we're not increasing the odds but you are no because we're we're, we're if you buy two lottery tickets you're more likely to win than if you buy one lottery ticket not if the numbers are doubled see you want to double the amount of people 
But while no, leaving the Imani, no, that's not true. Okay. It, as long as your proportion, as long as your chance of winning is the same, proportionally, then that doesn't affect anything. You still have the same probability. You still have a one percent chance of winning. One percent chance of winning. One percent chance of winning. Right. It doesn't matter if it's one out of a hundred or ten out of a thousand or forty bi- or- four out of forty billion or four out of twenty billion. Right. Well, I mean, that would be a different proportion than what I was just saying. But so, yeah, four out of 20 or whatever, as long right. as the proportion is the same, the probability stays the same. And so if you repeat the process over and over again, you're eventually going to win or, or your, your chances of winning go up and up and up and up. I don't know that they do if we're dealing with the same probability, if they we're dealing with the same probability every single time, aren't we, don't we have the same probability every single time we pull the lever? On any individual pull, you have the same probability, right. but we're, we're accumulating multiple pulls now. Now we've pulled it two times and so we're twice as likely to win. We pull it 10 times, we'll be 10 times as likely to win. It doesn't matter how many balls are in there, as long as the proportions are the same, you'll Hmm. have the same probability per draw, right? Unless one draw affects the other one, but you said we're putting the balls back. And so we're putting the balls back. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Right. Okay. So as long as the, as long as these are independent trials, Mm -hmm. if we're, if we're, if the more we try it, the more we're increasing our overall chance of winning. Mm-hmm. Just like if you buy 10 lottery tickets, you're more likely to win than if you buy one lottery ticket. As long as the probability is the same across all of the tickets, your chances of winning will go up. But so let's say we have a finite number of lottery tickets. Let's say we have 20 billion lottery tickets. Okay. Right. And, and I, and I, play one ticket uh-huh i have a, a um a one in 20 billion chance right right now um i'll play the lottery again the next day okay right same 20 billion to one right every time so now right. during your now during your two day span, you now have a two in 20 billion chance no of you have a two in 40 billion chance right because no. One in 20 billion plus okay. one in 20 billion equals when you add fractions, you don't add the denominators right. to. No, no, I know that. I'm just trying I'm just trying to think though. Um All right, I need to I need some more time. I'm I'm not I'm not <laughs> listen, I'm not kicking this can back. I just need more time to uh, think fine. about this ratio. No, that's so why fine. don't we move I, on? I'm a math since, teacher. I see it all the time. Right, yeah. Thanks. So, so there's nothing thanks. new for me. All right, so let's No, let's, it's not that's not a judgment on you. It's a No, common, I know. I know. I'm messing your chops. It's not all an right. insult to say that you're normal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far and say I'm normal, but let's All right, let's go on. What was so, what, what are some of the other other So, okay, so here? so we talked about the premises and so now let's talk mm-hmm. about the conclusion here. So mm-hmm. the conclusion was that the fine-tuning of the universe is likely the result of the design. And so what we need to know though is how likely is the universe to be designed? Even if we could determine how likely it was from chance, we can't say that it's more likely to be from design unless we know how likely it was to be from design. And so how do we determine that? I don't think I understood that. So if you want to say it's, if something is more likely than something else, mm-hmm. 
then you have to show that the probability of that thing happening is greater than the probability of the other thing happening. Right. So if we right. said that, um, yeah, but if you, if, so if you ruled out necessity and you ruled out chance, then you, what you'd have left is design. Or if we if knew those said, were the only options, which we don't. Okay. Well, that that's true. We don't, but we also, ha- you also have to agree with me that the other possibilities, um, don't have as much skin in the game, so to speak, right? They, they're, they're not as um, taken seriously as the other ones, okay? Necessity well, Even if that chance. were the case, we still, but we still don't have any basis for finding the probability of, see, the only way that you can say, you know, well, everything else has to go to this option. You, you can't do that unless you know that's the only other option. And if well, we I- don't know that's the only other option, we can't say that. I get, I get that, but at, at, at what like at what point do we say uh, you know like because right now you're saying there's may, maybe some kind of other unknown um, option, but like I said, I could say that with anything, and and we could never have then at that right. point any kind of statistical or probabilistic if, yeah any kind of argument that relies on knowing all of the options. But there are you can you can argue without having to without you can base an argument other than you know the strategy that's used in this argument. Yeah, I'm just wondering how this will shape up if I use this on 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 an argument you give. Like, but we don't know this is the case. We have you know like there could be something else. We could just mm-hmm. say that forever. So what I'm saying is, I almost feel like. That we but should not every argument depends on there not being something else. Sometimes but also you do you ma- think it's but also do you think it's fair to to insert something to chop down an argument that 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 we're just complete conjecture, complete um I mean, total speculation at that point, because we have no idea. Not only do we not know, but we, no one's even ever thought of anything else. Well, I gave an example earlier that that there's it's a combination between necessity and right. or and that chance. there could be some there could be some unknown naturalistic process going too. That what did picks? Well, then that would be necessity, right? Because it's it's no, that wouldn't be necessity. That would that would be that would be a contingent result, but it would be naturally caused. So, what would that look like? I'm not sure. I understand that one. I, I don't know what it would look like I, because it's an unknown naturalistic cause. It okay. would just be, it would just be a, it would be something causing the universe to be the, like, uh, you know, if you dump water on a hill, then the shape of the hill determines where the water goes. And that's a natural thing happening. So if it, so if I think we talked about this before and I, I can't remember exactly what you said, but if, if so, so we just got a basketball hoop and, and let's just say that my son has a habit of knocking that thing over. And, um, uh-huh. and, and let's say I come home one day, pull in the driveway, I see the basketball hoop knocked over. I have a couple options and my, Chris and my wife says, Hey, how'd that basketball hoop get knocked over? I could say, well, babe, it was, it was, I think it might've been windy. So it could have been the wind. Um, or the neighbor, he's kind of a little jerk kid, little butthole runs around, knocks things over. Could have been him. Or uh-huh. Camden could have knocked it over uh, like he's done five other times. Uh-huh. Or something we don't know. Right. I'm not sure my wife would be satisfied with that last one. 
Right. But you, uh, you know, so but you, but you know enough about your son, you know enough about the brat next door, you know enough about the wind that you can at least come up with ballpark probabilities for those and you can compare those I, with each other. Well, and so I, if you I think that that's what they're trying I think that's what they're trying to do with necessity chance and No, but design. you're you're comparing you're comparing a probability that you well that we don't know to another probability that we don't know. You know, we don't have experience with other universes. We don't know this. And even if we if even if we're working under the assumption of these multiverse models Mm -hmm. we still don't know the probability distribution so we don't know the probabilities we just know you know we can just list off a bunch of things that might happen you know just like you just did you know we could list off 50 things that could have knocked it over in fact just by saying people could knock it over we have over 7 billion options right there we and, and you know we don't know but you're comparing things that you know you know about your son you know he's well, not over also, three I times mean, in the last week. It's not like, you, but listen, if we're going to invoke the multiverse, though, it, or as a you know, like thinking about a theoretical, you know, hey, mm-hmm. let's think about this, then I think it's fair to say that we do know something about these other universes. Like if we know enough to speculate about the multiverse, that, mm-hmm. the, then I think we have to also say that we know something about these other theoretical universes as well. So well, I don't the think only it's thing we know the only thing. The only thing we know is that our model, our model predicts that they're happening. So even if we assume, even if we're working under that assumption that the model's correct and that the model predicts that these things could happen, it doesn't tell us anything about the probability distribution. And so we so don't, there could be three yeah. of them, or there could be an infinite. Well, it's it's not just the number; it's not just the size of the bullseye. It's the size of the bullseye compared to the size of the board. We have to know the distribution. Let let me give you an example of this here, and and I know we've done a ton of examples on this, but um, you know, what do you think the probability of me winning a fight with my brother is? I'd have to know. And, if, and, 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 well, I know so you. I'll, I'll, I know that I'll you're tell you. kind of a kind of a, kind of a badass. In, I have in, a black belt in, in taekwondo. Right, I'm right, a, yeah, yeah uh-huh. but so does my brother. Oh, so yeah. does my brother. Although I've been, I have a lot more fighting experience than he does. Mm-hmm. But he's a little bit bigger than me. He's like an inch or two taller than me. He's got like 10, 15 pounds on me. Yeah, he's got a little bit longer reach, and he's younger. Um, and you know, maybe his knees are a little better than mine, and that kind of thing. So we, so there's <laughs> you know pros and cons for both of us. So you know, so but in. You'd maybe ballpark it, you know, maybe you'd start with like a 50-50 guess because you figure we're kind of the same. We have the same parents. And so maybe we have the same, you know, physical build and so on. And, um, but, you know, then I'll say, well, I've been doing Taekwondo for 30 years and, and my brother quit for 25 years in the middle. So, you know, I've been doing it a lot more. Mm -hmm. So maybe you'd, maybe you'd say like, you know, 60-40 or 70-30 or something like that. Okay. So that's out of two of us. Right. And so you can come up with kind of a ballpark figure there, but now- Let's say instead of me fighting my brother, I'm going to fight 10,000 one-year-olds. Mm-hmm. What do you think my chance of winning is going to be fighting 10,000 one-year-olds? Sure. Oh, oh. Well, I, I mean, I don't know I because mean, it's, you it's could pretty much guaranteed, I think, right? I don't I just know. Just you walk might, down you the line dive, just knock him over. My dive knock heart attack. Over. Oh, you're talking That's about true. actually winning the fight. Right, so when <laughs> right. He, not, not dying of like a heart attack or exhaustion right, right. from throwing punches, right. but uh, yeah. So you. So, yes. so what? I, so what I'm saying is that it's not just the number of things that are involved, right? So you know, if it was just me and my brother, we could maybe say sixty forty or whatever. But even though, not if I'm saying it's me, well, maybe ten thousand is too. Well, you get the idea though. 
yeah. me against a thousand one-year-olds, mm-hmm. even though there's more people involved, my probability has gone up. And it's not just because of the number of possibilities. It's because of the relationship between myself and the other competitors. Mm-hmm. If I'm facing my brother, you know, we're, we're fairly even matched up for, you know, with various, you know, things going my way, various things going his way. Right. Um, and, but, but if I'm facing the one-year-olds, then, you know, it, it's different. The relationship between me and my opponent is different. And so even the fact that there's way more possibilities, you know, if I'm fighting 10,000 one-year-olds, then there's 10,001 competitors. Mm-hmm. And yet my probability of winning is near certain. Right. But don't so, we- so when we, so yeah. if we say that there could be all these other different universes, we don't know if we're a me facing my brother situation or if we're in a me facing 10,000 one-year-old situation. Okay. That's, the, that's where that probability distribution comes in. Okay. So, and that's where I would, that, that's, so you would probably fall back on that. And I would probably fall back then on what we had talked about earlier with that principle of indifference, correct? Where it not given, not being given anything to think otherwise, we should consider all things being equal. Right, a, when pr- we a know, principle of indifference is more we of know a discussion those. tool, but we're but we're right. talking about forming a logical argument here, and so we need a little bit something with a little more teeth. You know, that, the principle of indifference is just a well, we want to have a conversation, so let's assume this. But w- so we couldn't use that even on Bayesian theory. We could use it, but then our, con- our then our our our, our uh, is less than our conclu- right. Our conclusion would be under the assumption that that assumption was true. Okay. And so if we didn't know whether or not that assumption was true, that's where our, our, you know, our confusion will come in there that, you know, the fact that we can't come to the conclusion is not because of our, our reasoning It's because of our, our, the, the uncertainty of our assumptions. Okay. All right. Well, a lot to think about here with uh, probability and I've had enough of the analogies, at least for one okay. night. My well, let's hurts. go back to let's go back to the you know what we were talking about then. Yeah. So, how can we determine how likely it is that it was designed? If we can't, if we haven't eliminated all other possibilities, what are we going to base that on? How how do we know? How can we compare something that we that even if we did know the probability that our universe turned out this way, even if we assume that it was very unlikely, mm-hmm. how can we how can we assume then that? It was more unlikely to be designed. I mean, for one thing, a designer, you know, a design, I'm assuming you said something about intention. So a designer has to come from, or a design has to come from a designer. So we're talking about something that's alive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so obviously it's not something, uh, you know, it's it's not something that's alive in this universe. Correct. And so, so you're saying there has to be l- the possibility of life outside this universe. Now, do we have any evidence for that? Do we have any reason to think that's even possible? Because we do have evidence that this universe is possible. Right. Do we have any kind of evidence that, su- that a designer is possible? Because if a designer is not possible, then the probability of it being designed is zero. Okay. Which would be less than any, you know, no matter how small the, po- the probability of our universe is, the, the probability zero is going to be lower. Okay. Yeah, I get, I get that. So where does that leave us then? If we don't know that a universe, that a, that a designer is even possible, then we can't even, we can't even begin to compare that. Yeah, I think this is something that we're, where we could, we would probably just keep going round and round. Um, 
uh, and that might not be satisfying to you, but um, like I said, I think that at some point you would probably have to try and, and justify why you think it's necessity, why you think our universe. I never said that. Well, I didn't. I don't think it's necessity. But you, you, you try to rule that in as a possibility. And so I think you'd have to give reasons why you no, think. No, I'm not ruling it in as a possibility. I'm saying we haven't ruled it out as a possibility. Right. Well, we ha- again, we're not, we're not talking about Cartesian certainty either. We're talking right. about yep, Bayesian theory. Okay. I'm talking about reasonable certainty. All right. Yeah. And so that, that, but that's what I'm saying. Then we have to weigh what you say about necessity to justify the possibility of necessity with. But all I've, all I've said about necessity is that we haven't ruled it out. Okay. But th- so that's so, all I've said. Okay. No, I, okay. Well, I get that. Okay. Well then I have one last thing to say. Yeah. And then, and, um, you know, so what would it take? You know, what is why is it unlikely that a justification can be found? I, I'm I'm going to say that I think it's it's uh, unlikely that we will get evidence that will support this conclusion, and here's why. So let's look at why. You know, the two different types of 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 uh, justification we could give for that probability: the experimental probability. If it, if we could gather experimental probability on how universes begin then that would mean that there are, that the multiverse is true, that there are massive amounts of universes out there, or at least to the extent that we can gather data. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, so then that would, that would make the likelihood of a universe like this popping up be much more likely, possibly even inevitable. And so if we had evidence of the multiverse, which that's what would need, be needed to have experimental results to supporting that probability, then that's not a problem. It's a, it's a, it, yes, it does show that our universe are that one instance of our universe is unlikely, but it also shows that we have a huge number of trials and that makes the unit, the chances that the universe coming at all very likely. The other possibility is for us to have a theoretical probability. And we talked about how in order to develop a theoretical probability, you have to have a strong understanding of the mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And so if we did have a strong understanding of the mechanisms, then that would support the idea of a naturalistic or at least a scientifically, uh, at least an origin of the universe that is scientifically investigable, if that's a word, investigable, we can investigate it. Right. (laughs) Right. And so that would demonstrate a natural origin to the universe, which would, of course, you know, undermine the ultimate. So do you think, I mean, there's certain atheists um, that would say that, that we could have um, an external um, non-temporal agent who who could work in the universe that, where, where you could actually like when I when I asked uh, or somebody asked somebody how could we demonstrate that um, if we if we're only looking at the natural in uh-huh. what we're talking about super and they claim that well you could have something that's demonstrable in the physical world that was brought on by something unnatural or supernatural. So if, if something, if something was supernatural and it had an effect on the natural world, right. That, that it could, it could be demonstrable if that were the case, so, you know, that, that, that there is 
uh, ways that we can measure or whatever uh, natural things brought on by a supernatural agent. Oh, okay. So I see what you're saying. So you're saying you, this was that was to my last point, right? You're saying that if we could investigate, uh, or if we could develop a strong model, then that doesn't rule out a supernatural. That doesn't necessarily mean that 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 the model would be of a natural cause. Correct. That it, it that that if we could, that it would be that that it's possible that it's a, a supernatural cause. But we're still able to, um, to discover that in the natural world. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember who, who's the atheist in in the the, the well known bald atheist from Texas, Austin, Texas. He does, Matt Dillahunty. Yes, yes, that's who it okay. was. Yes, it was Matt Dillahunty. He debated <laughs> the a well known bald atheist from Texas. That's his, boom. That's, <laughs> that's his calling that's, that's card. That's on his business card right there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I've been watching a lot of his stuff um, uh-huh. because he just has been popping up left and right, debating some of these. Um, other Christians, and he, he was uh, debating the guy from Inspiring Philosophy, and that's mm-hmm. one of the things that got brought up. And he okay. he had mentioned that that oh no no we could demonstrate um, a supernatural cause oh, in a natural I, he, way. He was, he was he was saying that we could if there was a sup- if there was something supernatural that had an effect on the natural world we could measure the effect right but what we couldn't do what we couldn't do is show that it was from a supernatural cause oh well using- see it it seemed to me the way he said it was that 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 was at least a possibility because the guy the other guy asked well how am I able to demonstrate that then hmm. you know and then Matt Dillahunty yeah. said well you could demonstrate it if it was the case and okay you could yeah. because it uh yeah so I'm thinking that that maybe that's yeah, I, an I, I don't I don't know the particular uh debate that you're I haven't I haven't seen that so I can't I can't speak to what Matt has or had not, has not mm-hmm. said but I've heard him say many times that you know. We could, we could, if something had an effect on the natural world, we could measure that effect, but that we couldn't attribute it to, we, we couldn't demonstrate using our, using the tools we have available to us. I believe Matt is a um, methodological naturalist as I am. And, and, you know, that we're limited to the tools that we have, you know, our investigation is limited by the tools we have. I, I, but Matt has said many times that, um, that, we can't demonstrate supernatural causation because at, at the very least, because of the tools we have available to us. I'm not saying that I'm not, I've heard him say that many times. I can't say, you know, what he said at that particular debate though. Yeah. I'll send you, but, I'll but, send you a link. Cause that was, that was interesting. I, it, because it, and that came off the heels of another debate when somebody asked him if, if, if I, if I uh, parted an ocean in Jesus's name, would that be evidence for something supernatural? And he said, no. And then he asked him, what if I cut someone's head off here or cut your head uh, off and uh, then reattached it? Would that be, would that be evidence of something non-natural or possibly something super? Right. And he said, I no, think I think we're, I think we're straying, but you know, we're straying kind of from our topic, but I, I think, and again, I can't, I haven't heard everything that Matt has ever said, but he has said, on more than one occasion that we can't demonstrate supernatural causation. If somebody parted the sea in Jesus's name, 
Um, and again, from, from the things that I've heard Matt say, my guess is that he would say, well, all we know is that somebody said something about Jesus and then we saw the waters part. We don't know if he actually caused it. We don't know if it was a, if it was a God causing it. You know, we can't prove that. We can't demonstrate that supernatural causation. But if you'll give me a minute here, I was about to agree with you. Okay. And, and say that you're right, that you're right. If, if we, if we did have a strong model of the, of the origin of the universe, it would not necessarily indicate that, uh, that the origin of the universe was natural. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So you're right. So yeah, that was a good point that you brought up there. Wow. Mark that down. What's the time <laughs> you, you've on You've been that? saying that a lot. You've been saying that a lot lately. And I, I think that the more that you say that, I think it kind of weakens the, <laughs> it weakens the effect, right? It, you know, it's supposed to say, oh, write it down because that's rarely happening. I oh, know. write it down well, again because that's rarely I'm happening. Just, oh, write it down again because it's still rarely happening. I'm just but saying, anyway. well, at least we could have a probability there, couldn't we? Because we could go back, we could see how many trials we had, <laughs> right? Yeah. But my, my point here, though, is that we, if if we look back at the argument, um, you know, premise one, okay, we didn't, you know, we had our, the only problem I had with premise one was making sure we had clearly defined terms and we came to agreement on terms. I don't think we have a problem there. Right. Premise two, um, you know, that kind of leaves the door open. We don't, we don't know if those are the only options, but the, you know, but that's, that's okay. Even if we did know that the, they were all the options, we still don't know how likely our universe is. We don't, we don't have that probability distribution and we can't determine that without, you know, without more knowledge, I'm not saying that we could never know, but we don't, we don't now. Um, and then the conclusion, you know, we still don't know how probable the design would be. You know, we don't know how probable it would be uh, a design or if even that was even possible. Okay. And so, so we have, we have, we can question the validity of the argument and we can also question the soundness of the premises and, and then of course the conclusion. So I, I think, you know, it, it, to me, this is like the worst argument <laughs> for a God that there is. Because for me, I look at this and it's just all one big giant argument from ignorance. You know, it's, it's based off of what we don't know. And, it's, and it's, it seems to be, and I'm not saying that really? you, can't because make an, that, you, again, you can't make an argument in that. And th- this, is, this is where we might just have to say, okay, we're going to have to put the gloves down and let our audience decide because I would say, I would go back to the, the, the first part uh, where you're talking, of course we agreed on premise one for the most part in, in premise two. I, again, I think that I could show some kind of justification for how they come up with the probability uh, for these other possible universes. And that if we come up with this, uh, ungodly number of of universes that are inhospitable, and uh-huh. and only one or two that that or or only one or two that that are life per- permitting that that we should be surprised that we're in a life permitting, and the odds of that are are insurmountable in my mind, and so that would then put us to either necessity. Or design, because uh-huh. like you said, we can't rule out necessity. I'll grant you that because you, you do will say that there could be a possible we don't know. And so well, I'll I didn't forever say we, tr- I didn't say we can't eliminate. I said we haven't. Well, and I would agree with you yeah. that if you throw in the there's always something we don't know that we don't and we don't if we don't know, we don't know and we don't know what we don't uh-huh. know. 
and that that could be to me that just seems uh, almost like it was begging the question. I think we talked about that. I don't know if we talked about it earlier before we turned it on. Or but I can't be begging that. the question because I'm not making an argument. I'm I'm criticizing this argument. Yeah, but you're you're also saying too that well, listen, we're we're already almost at two hours, so I, we can't continue to beat this in the ground. So, um, <laughs> oh, you obviously have not been listening. To, <laughs> we can beat it into oh. the ground deeper and deeper. <laughs> yeah. You Dude, underestimate is, our ability. No, the question is, <laughs> do we want to beat it into the ground? Right, right, deeper that's fine. Deeper, and I'm not sure that we do. Uh, well, if and when you can come up with those justifications, then we can revisit. Okay, I'm saying what we've what we've what we've talked about here today. We haven't. In your opinion, I haven't given the justification. Correct. Okay, that's I'm fine with that. Yeah, because I, I, in my opinion, I, I think I have or I can, but <laughs> that's why. Okay, so what is the it? God then? Or Tell not. me. Let's. We, we had talked about this, no, right? Th- so we're, we're an so hour and. 50 minutes in. So you don't want it. So you say that you can, you say that you have given the justification, but you won't say what it is. No, I think we, I think I already have. Right. I, I mean, are we really going to continue to rehash this? That, that's my point is that okay. at some point we get to a sticking point where we say, no, I think so. And you say, uh, okay. yes, it is. Nope, I say, no, fine. you know, I mean, so it, if, if we want to, uh, if you want to, if we want to stop here, then that's fine with me. I mean, we could, I, I would love to go back because the, the more I read on this, the more stones are unturned, and I'm just finding okay. new stuff all the time on this. And so I would love to go back the more I the more I learn about this and revisit it. Okay, I'll <sighs> be here. That was any w- last words? That was way better. Any last words before you draw a ping pong ball from the hopper? <laughs> I'm dead. I'm a dead man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Not if I you gotta, do it an infinite number of times. That's right. I got to go spend some infinite time with my finite wife, or <laughs> I'm going to be, I am going to be pulling the black ping pong ball All right. in the shadow well, of death. I, that wraps up, at least for now, dot, 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 the fine-tuning argument. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Jamie. And that was the fine-tuning, not so fine-tuned. <laughs> so that was actually our second go. That the, was the first one. You you made me cry. So we we yeah we we had to do it a second. It was time. it was not pretty. It was not pretty. And that just goes to show our audience that these conversations are not easy, especially when oh, you're talking no. about these foundational issues, yeah. these things that are really, really to our core, and so. Uh, you really have to have this kind of tenacity, like, okay, I'm come hell or high water, you know, I'm getting through this conversation one way or the other. Right. And I think we both kind of have that in our DNA, kind of that, uh, you know, we're going to push through and, and get it done. That could be, that could be. Yeah. And it, so it could I, be nature or nurture or a combination <laughs> of both. I guess it could be. And uh, so I, I think that that was one of the things that kind of got us through and uh, also, it's, it's it's um you know, you and I are obviously able to compare the first uh, go-around with the second go-around. And right. I, I think, uh, you know, we talked about some things and we made some changes, and that made for a more uh, all-in-all productive, I think, um, yeah. podcast. Certainly more uh, um, 
I don't want to say civil. I thought we were civil the first time through, but it just got heated and we had kind of a breakdown of communication, I think it would be right. the best way of describing it. And and I, I think this is good because it just goes to show that contrary to the way we sound on the podcast, we are not highly polished professional speakers. <laughs> no, we are not. No, <laughs> and we're so not. we're just, you know, we're just a couple of guys that try to talk about stuff. And, so, you know, sometimes it works out and once in a while it doesn't. But I That's think right. we're getting better at it. And we were we able are. to bounce back and, uh, you know, have a have a good second time through i think yep get back on the horse and so i thought we had a good discussion all right yeah so let's uh let's move on from there and uh go into the god or not book club all right this is the god or not biggest book club meeting in the world Okay, Jamie, so we're ready to talk about uh, our next installment of the God or Not Book Club here, and we're talking about Sense and Goodness Without God, A Defense of Metaphysical Naturalism by Richard Carrier. And for this time, we read the second half of Chapter 3, and um, so just give a quick rundown. There's a couple of things that I, I thought were interesting that I think would be worth digging into deeper, but just want to just do a quick summary of, of what the sub, what the, you know, our reading covered. So um, the first uh, idea that we looked at in this section was uh, the nature of the mind. And this was a big one. It talks about uh, the nature as a real, a virtual reality it talks about the possibility of um, looking at the mind as a machine and also looking at machines as minds um, talks about uh, the evidence for mind-body physicalism. So the idea that uh, the mind is just a, it's a physical process and part of the body. Um, he also uh, briefly touched on the meaning of life. I, I'm assuming he's going to mm-hmm. kind of dive into that a little bit deeper in, in later chapters. Um, he, and he also gave a very brief summary of the science of things like biogenesis and evolution and so on. Um, and he finished up talking about, uh, the nature of reason Mm -hmm. and our capacity to reason as human beings and emotion as, as, you know, subsets of, of things that were of the mind. And so my, my first thought was about the nature of mind. I I imagine that you believe that you're probably a mind body dualist Would that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, So would that qualify? Yeah. Usually, um, at least from what I've heard, he talks about the mind, as being physical, and um, I know this is just verbiage, but usually, um, like when I when I think about it, I, I talk about the brain as that physical instrument, right. and then the mind is being that um, kind of that metaphysical that that you know your spirit or your soul that that first mover right. type of thing. But I, I know what he's talking about. So yeah, I mean, I would be a a dualist that we have a physical body. Or, or, and or a brain, and then we mm-hmm. also have a, a spirit or a soul, right. and I would probably call that the mind. Okay, yeah, he he did the kind of did the same thing. Actually, he, there was a finer finer distinction in there. You know, the brain obviously is physical, like a literal part of our body, and he described the mind as an activity that the brain does. Right. You know, thinking thinking is something that the brain does, and so a mind is just um, an example that I like to use. And he didn't say this in the book, but like running. You know, running is is a, is a physical activity. You can't like grab it and put it in a bucket or anything. But running is something that your legs do. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and so we can talk about running and we can talk about characteristics of running and similar kind of thing when we're talking about the mind. I think that's kind of the point that he was getting at with, uh, you know, talking about the the mind as as activity in the brain. Um, but one, one thing jumped out at me because um, I know that you're interested in uh, out of body exp- or not out of body experiences, but uh, near, near death, death experiences. Mm-hmm. And and so he talked a lot about or you know, a, a fair amount about near death mm-hmm. experiences. I'm, I'm curious in particular of what you thought about that section. Yeah. The, the thing that, um, that, that I, I almost wanted to ask him if I could is he, he talked about, um, and or a lot, a lot of that, these, what he call NDEs near death experiences can be chalked up to kind of things, hallucinations and tricks kind of that your mind plays on us as it's oxygen right. starved and as it's dying, yeah. Um, and I guess my question, I think the, the crux of the issue comes into when you have someone who has no traceable um, heart, heart uh, electrical activity and no traceable um, brain activity. So mm-hmm. if, if your brain isn't functioning, right. um, how can you hallucinate? And so and there have been verifiable um, probably a dozen, maybe two dozen. I mean, there are several. I mean, there are thousands upon tens of thousands of people who say they've had near-death experiences. Of those, there's probably about 200 that would be considered verifiable. Of the verifiable mm-hmm. ones, I would probably put a couple dozen as being really good. You know, the ones that I would put up, you know, mm-hmm. some of the other ones are a little shoddy. So what, well, what, what do you mean by verifiable? What do you, what do you mean by that? Um, it. it that there How do you was, verify that somebody is having a, a near death experience? That it was confirmed that the the person was had had no heart, no brain activity, right? Uh, and that they experienced something in that they couldn't have experienced otherwise. Um, for instance, I know in one case, I don't have the details off the top of my head, but I know in one case. Um, a person said that they left their body and they went down the block, you know, their body mm-hmm. went down the block and saw a car wreck and he was okay. able to describe the car wreck in detail. Mm-hmm. And um, this, this um, was in a position he was in, he wasn't in a position where he could have known about this car wreck or mm-hmm. known about, you know, these kind of things. So that's what I mean by verifiable that you actually have, Doctors and nurses say, yep. But how, how do they know that he was having that experience at that time? Be, uh, well, because he didn't, because the car wreck happened during the time when he was, quote, dead, had no heart, no brain activity. And when he woke up, when they woke up, they said, oh, hey, listen, okay. so, I had this experience about this. It was, right. it was like, so I left my body. There was this car wreck. It was a motorcycle versus a, you know van uh-huh. and, or you know this this and that so they're able to kind of put two two together because it was during the time but his which, brain was functioning when he relayed the story right right so he was okay he was a yeah he was alive at that point right um, you know that he came back they, so, they so, the, back. I, so i guess that would be my maybe maybe we can uh have a have a separate episode on this yeah. where we can get get into this a little more deeper i, right. I guess just to get, just to give you a kind of a little seed to get you rolling is how would you know that he had that experience while his brain was dead, basically. Well, because and there, not, and there not been, either before or after. Well, there would have been no way for him to know. So, no so, so know that there was a car wreck and the details of it. 
Well, he. I mean, okay. Well, let let's talk. Let's yeah, talk right. more about that right. uh, in a different episode. There yeah, was so one other thing. I, I sorry. I, go ahead. I, finish. I up. just I just thought that he too quickly dismissed the NEDs, mm-hmm. especially those. Like I said, those probably dozen or two that would really be considered verifiable. Um, mm-hmm. I think he kind of uh, too easily dismissed those, but. Um, you know, this wasn't a book on NDEs. He obviously was he's covering mm-hmm. every kind of topic you could think of in this book. Right. So he couldn't go uh, too much in depth. But I would be curious to see what he thinks about the work of somebody like Gary Habermas, who has done extensive work and is considered mm-hmm. a subject matter expert on it. So, okay. So, so we'll, we'll table that. That's kind of what I was, you know, what I thought that you'd say, but you know, so we'll set that aside. Um, There was one other thing that I was a, was a point of interest for me. And I really appreciated the way that he presented evolution. He didn't talk too much about evolution, but I really, I really enjoyed um, because very often we, we hear people talking about evolution and so on. um, And they, they really focus just on, biological evolution by natural selection. And so I, I like that the fact that Carrier, uh, first of all, def, you know, defined evolution, basically the, the, the fact he separated the fact of evolution, which is that, um, you know, living creatures have changed over the time, over right. the, you know, over the years and, and the mechanism of, of evolution, which is natural selection. Right. Um, and so that, that was, I, I like that he made that distinction there. Um, and then because, and then he talked about how natural selection is really, is the explanation of the observation. Right. And, um, but then he also, uh, dove a little bit deeper into the philosophical aspects of natural selection. He talked about, you know, the basis that it's, it's just based on, uh, uh, three, uh, three concepts, the, uh, the idea of reproduction, the idea of variation in that reproduction, and then, uh, competitive survival for, mm-hmm. you know, to reproduce the next, uh, the next generation. So I like that he separated that because then, because if you look at it from the philosophical perspective there without, without the specifics from biology, then you can apply it to a variety of different mm-hmm. situations. And he, he applied that to the, to the biological, ev- you know, development, of course, and then mm-hmm. also to like social development, social yeah. evolution. And, and so it was really uh, interesting to see um, two different perspectives on that. What were your thoughts when you were? Well, I actually, uh, I was. That part? I was surprised because I I hadn't ever heard that before. You know the the distinction being made. It, it, oh, you know, so, okay, so, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, um, uh, most everything that's out there is specifically honed in on 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 biological life mm-hmm. and how we've uh, how we've adapted over time and how you know common ancestry and things like that. So for him to separate the two like that, and of course I, evolution isn't my forte. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm limited on, on my scope in that, but that was the first time that I had heard um, it broken down like that. And I appreciate mm-hmm. the fact that he was able to do that. Cool. Um, so was there, was there anything particular that, that you wanted to talk about out of the out of the reading there because um, it covered you know, a, a fair amount of ground. He did. He he covered a lot. And like I said, this book really runs the gamut. If it's if it has anything to do with a worldview, man, um, mm-hmm. it's in there. So I appreciate his, um, you know, his desire to to cover cover all ground there. I, I would mm-hmm. I would say the the one thing that also struck me when he was talking about the mind. Um, 
in, in how, um, you know, there have been studies that, that where, um, you know, things happen in our, in our brain Uh physically before we kind of even know that that's going on, you know, almost as a, as a, as a, Hey, this is best described in naturalism. And I know Uh one of the things, I think maybe we had talked about this before, but I'm not sure. One of the things, one of the um, analogies that I had read about this from a, a theistic perspective is that the brain is like a piano Mm-hmm. And that the 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 pianist, the person playing the piano, is is that will, is the soul, is that first mover, and so obviously, um, I, Jamie, uh, me as as a person, I'm using my my mind or my physical brain in which mm-hmm. to communicate at this point, and so if anything's you know, so there would be that kind of lag. Um, or possible lag uh, if I'm using my mind like oh, a okay. pianist so would it's, use. It's like, you're, like your body's making a long distance phone call to your mind. And so there's like a couple of seconds. Yeah. The, 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 lag there, in there. there. There could be a lag there also too. You know, we talked a lot about if the brain gets damaged and if things, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, things get cut out or moved and, and we could determine right where things happen. And that that's one of the things I thought about, too, in that analogy is, yeah, I could bust up a bunch of the keys on, on the piano, uh-huh. which would severely affect my ability or the pianist's ability to play that piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that. I am the piano, if that makes sense. And so, okay. yeah, you could have some some things in your brain. You could have a, a, a physical defect or you could have an accident where now you are affected. And so you as the first person, the mover, the will, uh, can only communicate in as much as your physical mm-hmm. brain will allow you to do that. So I, at right. least I didn't hear him cover maybe that um aspect of it so i was i I would i I was sorry sorry finish up no i was just wondering maybe what he would uh say to that i think he did address the the first thing that you brought up about the the lag and the in the because he talked about how i mean because the reason that the i mean it's these experiments that they've done are fascinating i mean they they did they've done experiments where they like have somebody push a button Mm -hmm. and and by by um, you know, they, and they put electrodes and, and, you know, EEG machines or, or however they do the, the, the sensing on, uh, with the brain activity, but they can, um, they can tell that the, the, the decision to push the button. So they tell these people just push the button whenever you want to, you know? And, and so, but, and they can detect that the, when the person decides to push the button mm-hmm. by certain types of activity, uh, but then they can also sense when, you become conscious of that by looking for activity in the conscious portion of the brain. So they mm-hmm. compare, they compare the the decision making. So that so they relate both of those actions to uh, to brain activity in different in different areas of the brain. Like the decision making goes on in one particular area mm-hmm. of the brain, and then the conscious awareness of that decision. Because then after the person presses the button, they can they ask them things like, "Well, when did you decide to push the button?" and you know, that kind of thing. Right. And so. Um, so that, so they correlate the, uh, so it's more than just, um, it would be, well, let's see if I can relate it to your, to your telephone 
uh, analogy. Well, they can tell, I mean, they can, they can measure the brain activity that does the decision making. Mm-hmm. And then they can also measure the brain activity that does the, you know, that that's related to the awareness of the decision. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's the correlation that they're making there. I don't know if he specifically addressed the, uh, you know, what you were talking about with the, with the brain damage. I mean, obviously if that was the case, if there is like some kind of con- physical conduit from your body to your you know, if, if you have a disembodied mind or something like that, mm-hmm. then, you know, that would make sense that if, if, uh, you know, if there's a body portion of it, the body could break down. I don't know. Right. I, don't, I don't know how you'd investigate that, but, um, but it was interesting. Was there any, anything other than that, that you no, wanted to, I, I, bring I, th- up? I think that he's very bold. I think mm-hmm. that he's very bold and, um, um, I don't I just, I, I think he's, I, I maybe just in my opinion, maybe a little overconfident. Of course it is his mm-hmm. book and he's promoting, you know, a certain worldview, but I know in right. the philosophy of the mind, and I think he did say this, um, but it just seemed to me that it was kind of almost in passing that the more that we learn about the brain or the mind, the more we're fascinated by the complexity and the more right. confused almost we are like, yeah, we'll learn a few things. And, and so we'll, we'll do some experiments yeah, or things. I, yeah. I don't know. We'll, I don't know if we'll, I'd say we're confused, we'll but we certainly some learn. Ground, but then there's yeah. also opens up a, a whole nother Pandora's box of kind of mystery. Well, we don't know how that works. Like, like we could see it working physically, but we can't correlate certain things. So I, I think that it's right. That the mind, um, philosophy of the mind and, and understanding the mind is, is you know, I don't think we're going to understand it completely anytime soon. <laughs> well, he came to a different uh, different conclusion there. He, he thought that we'd be able to at least uh, simulate uh, a mind with By, artificial intelligence. What, I think he said, what, 2030? Yeah. Yeah, that's what, that's what he said. That's, so That's pretty bold. Uh, well, but you know I something? We'll, I tell you what, we'll, the... Yeah. Uh, I can't remember who told me that that almost I think every they said every year or maybe even less than that technology um uh, exponentially grows as far as the vastness and in our depth the our ability to do certain things uh mm-hmm. with technology that we have just gone so far and if that continues at that pace um right. I don't I don't know if we're going to hit a ceiling so to speak or a plateau mm-hmm. at some point as far as technology goes. Um, right. If we don't, then maybe we'll be able to simulate uh, something. Now, whether or not that is um, actual um, um, conscious agent, mm-hmm. uh, who, who knows? I mean, that's right. Boy, that's well, now's, now's the time we should be talking about it. That's right. Yeah, that's true. You know, but we, cause we don't want to, you know, wait till after the fact and then realize we've been, you know, torturing computers for you know, years. <laughs> right. But speaking of, speaking of the exponential growth of, of computer uh, ability. So consider this also at some point, we're going to get to a, a, a point where we can design computers that can design themselves. Hmm. And and that's when it's really going to take off. Mm-hmm. I mean, because a human being could sit down and think about how to redesign a computer or how to come up with a new, develop a new material or a new configuration or even more efficient software, that kind of thing. But once a computer, a computer can think much more quickly than a human being mm-hmm. can. And so, you know, once the computers get to a point where they can redesign themselves, then it's just going to, you know, then it's just going to increase at a, it's going to be mind-boggling rates. Straight up like 1988 Terminator. 
Right. Uh, <laughs> that's the only, like Skynet. Right? Yeah, as Skynet. he was going through some of that stuff, that's what I was thinking of. I'm like, man, <laughs> we are gonna uh, be in some trouble here as they rise up to take over the world. Right. Well, you know. We'll probably be still around in 2030, so maybe we can. Uh, yep. We'll be celebrating our our 10 year anniversary of the God or Not podcast. Yes, so we will. Uh, maybe we can we can take some time uh, in the year 2030 and we can revisit. Yeah, uh, old Richard Carrier yeah. here and, and, and <laughs> yeah. see see how his uh, predictions have come true or yeah. not. If if I have to make a prediction on that, which I think I'm I'm going to pontificate for about five seconds here, I think okay. we're going to hit a ceiling. Uh, I think that, okay. that that we'll get to a point where we could span um, expand out to the left and to the right, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But I I don't know how much um, further up we can go. Like I think there's still some room, but I think mm-hmm. we're going to get to a point where we're going to hit a ceiling, and 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 it's just going to be either too great a mystery for us to grapple with or outside of our, our our abilities, at least at the present. I think that's what they're experiencing a little bit in physics. You know, they're Mm -hmm. creating those colliders and, and in order to get the kind of speed they need, they would need a collider as big as the world, uh, you know, in order to move forward. So I think they, they might be reaching uh, in some respect, some of that in in physics. So it's going to be interesting to see if, if we, if we, can gain right. some ground or make some progress in actually both of well, those fields. There, I mean, there's bound to be bottlenecks to development, right? There's mm-hmm. going to be, we have uh, our own understanding and our own development, but then we also have things like materials development and, and so forth. And so, you know, a lot of times those things progress at different rates. And so mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, sometimes we stumble on this really awesome superconducting material and we can make this new computer, uh, you know, that goes you know, a, a thousand times faster or whatever, but then, and then it takes a little while for our understanding of the other aspects of the system to catch up. Right. And, you know, and so, so different things are going to be advancing at different rates at different time, but yeah, I'm looking to, in, in some ways I'm looking forward to it. And in some ways it's actually kind of terrifying it, you know, maybe we could have a, a, an episode on artificial intelligence at one point. Cause I know there's lots of different uh, uh, opinions out there. Yeah. You got some people that say that, you know, uh, artificial intelligence is going to decide that, human beings are a problem a threat and, you know, and, and send out the terminators <laughs> after us. Right. But then again, on the other hand, they might be more enlightened and more benevolent than, than even we are. So, you know, it's tough to say it's really, you know, it's, it's kind of wide open. So like I said, it's kind of, it's exciting, but also kind of scary. Um, but anyway, but we're digressing from the book. And so um, any last words about uh, our reading for this, this nope. time? Uh, I'm actually um, enjoying the book more than I thought I would. Uh, All right. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see the, okay. what the next chapter has to offer. Well, for the next section, we're going to be reading all of chapter four. And so for those of you with the print edition of the book, it's going to be page 209 through 290. And so this chapter is called What There Isn't. And so it's going to be talking about uh, paranormal uh, phenomenon and also uh, atheism. It's going to address the idea of atheism. So uh, so it's going to be chapter four. I, I'm not sure how that will translate to the audiobook. Um, yeah, but, it's been a hot mess. My trying to figure <laughs> out exactly what is what. So right, right. I may have so anyway. listened. I may have listened ahead the other day. So okay, well, good. You got a head start on me then. That's so that's right. going to be. And so we will. Uh, let's see. So if anybody wants to uh, chime in on that particular section, we would like to 
uh, let's see, this episode is hitting the airwaves on the 21st. We had a little little late production this, this time around because we had some technical issues, but um, let's see. So when is the next one going to be? It's going to be March uh, so for the releasing 3rd. March 3rd. Okay. So then we'll need feedback by like the middle, like the March, like a February 25th or 26th, mm-hmm. maybe the 27th, somewhere around in there. So if anybody uh, is following along with us and wants to chime in, please uh, feel free to do so. Or you can also, um, you know, comment on the previous sections too. And, and you know, it doesn't right. have to be exactly on the pages that we're reading, but, but anyway, so that's chapter four, page 209 to 290. Uh, and that's the God or Not Book Club. That was the God or Not Book Club. Let's jump right into Spin That Wheel. Spin That Wheel. Okay, and so here we have one of our favorite bits here called Spin the Wheel, where Jamie and I each... Uh, well, we spin the wheel and we pick a random question out of the hat for each other to answer. Now, Jamie hasn't heard any of the questions that I'm about to answer and vice versa. So we'll start and by I will spin the wheel for Jamie. And here we go. All right, baby. Okay, Jamie, and uh, before I tell you the your question here, I have to come clean and admit that uh, I handpicked this one today. Oh, great! And um, so, so I didn't. So it wasn't uh, randomly selected. And the reason that I did that is because, um, and there's a little bit of backstory here, uh, but we'll get to the question soon enough. Because um, today um, we're recording today, and it's February uh, Friday, February twenty first. And so today we didn't, I didn't have class at my school. And so instead we had a faculty development day and our keynote speaker, um, uh, shoot, his name escapes me, but, um, he was, um, uh, a speaker from actually coincidentally a Christian college, but he came to talk to us about the, the value of dialogue, the value of dialogue. And I know that's something that we, uh, strive for struggle with, mm-hmm. um, uh, on this podcast here, but one one thing that he talked about was there's there's three ways that we can describe what we're doing here, or at least three ways: uh, debate, dialogue, and discussion. And so, uh, if we look at the word debate, if we look at the origins of the word debate, it's based off of uh, dis, which is expressing reversal, and batiri, which means to fight. And so, basically, it's like you're fighting back or, you know, fighting to change something or fighting to change somebody's mind. So, I thought that was an interesting uh, little backstory on the word debate. Now, compare that to the word dialogue, which is uh, dia, which in this case refers to through, like something going through something else. And I'm not entirely sure how I would pronounce this, legine or legaine, which is to speak. And so, uh, so a dialogue is like talking through something. And so, so speaking through something. And then the third word was discussion, which is based on the word discutere, which means to investigate. So mm-hmm. those three words, although we very often use those words interchangeably, debate, dialogue, discussion, yeah. they have, they have a very, so debate is more of a combat oriented or, a, you know, fighting to change somebody's mind. Dialogue is like talking something through, 
and discussion, which is kind of a, uh, a joint investigation. And so my question to you is going to be, it's, it's both easy and hard because it's open-ended. Right. And, and um, I'm, I'm assuming that hopefully that this will lead to maybe a, a longer discussion that we have on this topic. But uh, keeping those three words in mind, what are your thoughts on that? So, so just talk for a couple minutes on that, on, on those three words. You can talk about how they relate to your experience with the podcast, how they relate to your experience outside the podcast. Just what are your thoughts on, on those three words, debate, dialogue, and discussion? So I'll start the timer here. Wow. Okay. Open-ended. So I think that debate often has some negative connotations to it. But I also think that we can learn a lot from debate. Um, I've learned a lot from watching debate, uh, debates and from being involved in debates. So I think sometimes it's looked at as a negative thing when it doesn't always have to be. Um, in discussion, I think all three of these things have some sense of um, a positive connotation, like, like, like we can learn something and we can grow as a person by debating, by dialogue, and by discussion. And I think the distinctions that you made are valuable and they're often overlooked. Like you said, we often talk about, you know, oh, we have a, this debate or this dialogue and we use all these words interchangeably. Um, I, I think that sometimes certain ones can be more productive. I think for a debate, Obviously, uh, I and I think that we have experienced all three on our podcast. I think there have been times when both you and I were entrenched in a certain idea and we believed ours to be true and we were trying to disprove the other while, while shoring up our own. Uh, I also think that we've had uh, dialogue and discussion where, I mean, particularly uh, from personal experience where I, I'm not a math guy and you are. So there have been times where you have walked me through something. Now, I may not have always agreed with it at the end, but it has been more a learning experience for me. And so I think that these things can be interchangeable, but I like the fact that there are those distinctions and I think we can learn from all three. All right. Another, another couple of seconds that you can log into your, That's your right. bank account there. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm still trying to probably catch up from other times. <laughs> that's true. Paying off old debts. That's maybe. right. Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right. So, um, all right. So I guess it's your turn to spin the wheel for me. All right. Here we go. Scott, you landed on politics, buddy. Politics. All right, my favorite. Yeah, right. <laughs> speaking of <laughs> speaking of debates, um, <laughs> uh, right now, what's uh, we do have some listeners all over the world. I can say now, and uh, so here in the United States, we have the Democratic primaries for mm -hmm. president, and uh, we're seeing all kinds of in-house fighting. Which is typical. That this happens to Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter. This happens. Uh, but I was curious as to your thoughts. What are your thoughts on the primary? Who do you see as a front runner? Uh, who do you think will win it? And who do you want mm -hmm. to win it? Maybe are two different ones, uh, or two different people. 
And uh, so I would just like to get your take on the Democratic primaries. And let's start the timer. All right. So, uh, well, I mean, it's, you know, it's primary season that happens every, every election. And, and uh, yeah, there's been some squabbling, but like you said, that's, that's bound to happen. I think that's um, part of human nature. Um, I, it seemed like when, when these candidates and, and, you know, we started out with what a dozen or so, or maybe more, mm-hmm. um, the candidate, I mean, it seemed fairly civil at first, but it was bound to, to, you know, be more of a knockdown kind of thing. They've, they've started criticizing each other a little bit more. Um, if you remember back when we, we talked about how, uh, um, our human, human beings respond more to negative, mm-hmm. uh, you know, negative reinforcement to negative things. We respond more quickly and more strongly to, uh, to the idea of losing something or having something taken away or, you know, having something bad happen as opposed to trying to get something good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean that we ha- always have to, to succumb to that, but, you know, so we do see some of the candidates kind of squabbling with each other and, um, you know, it's it's not surprising. I wish it wouldn't happen. I'm I'm I would prefer that uh, that we focus on the positive uh, differences between the candidates. And obviously, you know, because if they knock down a, a candidate and you know that candidate ends up winning the the primary, then you know that that they've taken something away from that candidate. And mm-hmm. so and so. Um, it makes it hard for them to then turn around and support, which they do sometimes and sometimes they don't. Although all the candidates have agreed that um, they were going to, you know, once the primary was over, then they were going to all kind of join together and and support whoever the candidate was. Um, At this stage in the game, uh, I know Bernie Sanders is leading, uh, which is fine with me. And I'm going to go over time a little bit here. Take up my time. um, Okay. Um, I'm, I'm a big, uh, I'm, I'm an Elizabeth Warren fan. I I've always been a fan of hers. I, I supported Bernie, uh, in the last election, mainly because Warren wasn't running. Uh, they're similar in some ways. They're very different in other ways. I see Warren as a very, uh, primarily just, she's intelligent and she focuses on problem solving and, and, and that really shows in the way that she campaigns. Um, I think she really cares about what she's talking about. We actually met Elizabeth Warren at a rally. Um, after it was uh, here in St. Paul, and after the rally, she had—I mean, she's been doing this at all her campaign stops. She had a selfie line, right, and mm-hmm. so so people could line up and take a selfie with her, uh, which is fine. You know, we ended up sitting in line for like four or five hours, something like that. It took us all day to to finally get up there, um, and she was very patient and meeting everybody and. And, uh, but what really impressed me is that, so my kids were ahead of us in line. And so the kids went up and, and they're, they're big Warren fans as well. And so they met her and, and took a couple pictures and then they walked on. And then, uh, my wife and I got up there and we were like, oh yeah, those were just our kids. And, and so she turns and she calls them both by name. That's impressive. And, and I, yeah. She, and you know, like I said, we had been there for five hours and she had met, you know, several thousand people and, and. And um, I mean, not that that's, you know, oh, my God, you remembered my kid's name. You know, I'm going to vote for her. But, you know, it was just a it just shows that that she that she cares about what she's doing. And it's not just a, a photo op uh, opportunity for her. But I, I, I like Warren. I'll, I'll be fine. I I if I had to pick a who is probably going to win right now, I mean, Sanders is winning. He's not really showing any signs of 
of of waning yet. Although Elizabeth Warren, after the you know, debate a couple of days ago, she's kind of had a little resurgence too. So uh, I think I've gone way over my time. Feel here, the so. burn, baby. Feel the <laughs> <Yeah>. burn. <laughs> Actually, yep, that's yep. So, pretty impressive. The remembering the name. I will. I will. Yeah. I will give her that. That's that's. I can't even remember my name half the time. Let alone. Yeah, she didn't even know name. we were going right. to ask her. Right. 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 Yeah. So so it was, cool. it was pretty cool. The that's kids got a kick out of it too. Hmm. Very cool. That is spin the wheel. And that about wraps it up for episode number fourteen. Please send us your ideas, questions, and comments to email at godornotpodcast.com. If you'd like to know a little more about the topics covered in this episode, Scott, what do you recommend? I recommend a book by a physicist by the name of Victor Stenger, and it's The Fallacy of Fine-Tuning, Why the Universe is Not Designed for Us. And, you know, basically just directly, uh, you know, he brings out a lot of the physics and talks about a lot of the uh, data that we have, the information that we know. And he makes an argument that not only, he actually takes it a step further. Not only does he say that, uh, we have no reason to believe that the um, that the universe was intentionally fine tuned for us. He actually uh, uh, works to make the case that it there's evidence that it was not fine tuned, and so uh, that's the fallacy of fine tuning. Why the universe is not designed for us by Victor Stenger. Very good. And my book is A Fortunate Universe by Garant Lewis and Luke Barnes. Uh, Garant is an atheist and Luke is a Christian. And they both talk, they're both cosmologists and they both talk about um, uh, evidence for fine tuning and why they believe the universe is finely tuned. But then what's neat is the end of the book, the last couple chapters or so, uh, they, they they kind of diverge then, and, and Garat talks about um, how he thinks the universe is fine-tuned and it doesn't have any kind of um, metaphysical or spiritual connotations, whereas uh, Luke Barneson, he argues for a uh-huh. more theistic or, or a god uh, for the fine-tuning of the universe. So we have both cosmologists, an atheist and a Christian, both say the universe is fine-tuned, but both of them obviously give different reasons for the fine tune. Mm-hmm. So that is a fortunate universe life in a finely tuned cosmos by Garant Lewis and Luke Barnes. You know, it's, it's interesting that you, I'm, I'm not surprised that you mentioned that book. Cause you, you had mentioned it to me before as we were doing our preparation for the, uh, for the, for the episode. And in my research, I actually found that Luke Barnes uh, did a review of Victor Stenger's book, the one that I recommended and then also Stanger did a response, po- uh, you know, paper uh, to Barnes. So, yeah, you know what? So I read both of those. It continues on the continuation yeah, there. Right. I read both of those. And I, I will say that the Luke Barnes response, I only understood about 10% of that. So it was, <laughs> they did have a lot of uh, high-end cosmology in there. Uh-huh. Um, nothing right. that I probably couldn't figure out, but uh, take me a couple read-throughs. So uh, that's about it for us. Uh, thanks for joining us. So we hope you'll be back with us next time when Scott and I will be talking about circular arguments. Until then, this is your dialectic duo reminding you to talk to each other. See ya. This has been the God or Not podcast. 
Send your questions or comments to email at godornotpodcast.com. If you'd like to support the show or grab some God or Not gear, please visit the website at www.godornotpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. 